the Patreon's going really well, thanks to wonderful people like you. Uh, so much to the point that we've bought a private jet yep. for the Mix 6, for each of us. Right, three private jets. And I just want to thank the GOP to make sure that we can afford to fuel those sons of bitches, and that when we die in a Coke-filled orgy, it can <laughs> go to our sons that have never had jobs before. That's right. Tax-free. Tax our large free. adult you. sons. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah we're, we're fi- America's finally free again. Thank you, GOP. I hope we die when we're racing them. <laughs> Hey everybody, I'm Spencer. I'm Caleb. And this is the Mix Six, where we have six conversations. We rate and review six beers, and somewhere in there, it's probably some shenanigans, shenanigery. What? I don't... I'm a master of English. I'm a master of English, and I call shenanigery the correct term. Let's do that. Shenaniganalism. It's decided shenanigery. Yes. Is it. That's a noun form. Nailed that. Uh, (laughs) and, And if you've listened to any of our episodes in the past, you know that while we're rating and reviewing those beers, we use a five point rotating system that changes episode by episode. And today, our rating system, because Caleb recently bought a Nintendo Switch, it was great, is Nintendo consoles. Caleb. How are we rating things today? All right. On our five-point system, a one is bad. You don't want to drink it again. Mm-mm. It's a beer that hurts your eyes. Mm-hmm. And so we picked Virtua Boy, the console in which if you play more than half an hour, you've technically done laser eye surgery on yourself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so God love that Wario game on there. It was actually pretty fun, uh, aside from like the nausea and the pain. That oh, it got. Do you know there's a there's a there's a Japanese only game that was actually based on the uh, Shadow or Innsmouth, where you like went through a mansion and fought for people. the Virtual Boy. Yeah, for the yeah. Virtual I Boy. heard they use that in prisons when they run out of mace. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah. My only experience with the Virtual Boy <laughs> yeah. is that I played it at one of those like try this kiosks in a blockbuster video. Mm-hmm. And it was the tennis game, and I played it for three minutes and then almost fell over. So my mom was like, well, we're not doing that anymore. And I was like, yeah, it's cool. Great, thanks. There was a line of children behind me just waiting to get dyslexia playing the virtual boy. So. All right. Uh, so a two is uh, really bad, yeah. but you're also not going to uh, die from it, though. So that's a Wii U. Depending uh, on how you a, play A console it. that you have to simultaneously look at two screens at once to play and uh, is Primarily known for collecting dust after people suffered the disappointment that could have been a Wii. Amen. Uh, so a three, uh, which is a solid, a solid beer, a beer that is um, not doing everything for you, but you're willing to work for, is a regular Nintendo Just console. An NES the original. Man. You're blowing hard into it. Mm. You're you're finicky. You've got the little fucking alcohol swabs. You're doing everything you can to get those damn cartridges. Or to an work. NES Classic, maybe. Yeah, and it, yeah, and as uh, well, I mean, there would have to be. That's a beer of which they've made two hundred and are not selling anymore. <laughs> yeah. So, so a not dust. a third. Yeah, like that's more of a zombie dust. <laughs> so uh, the original Nintendo. You're doing a lot of work, but you're happy you did uh, on a four. Uh, we are going to go with the Super Nintendo, which and and I'll be honest, I haven't used a Switch, so I'm going to take you at your word here. But like, I would probably go to the streets with a knife on the fact that a Super Nintendo might even be a five. Like, <laughs> Super Nintendo to me has some of the greatest games that obviously got, has. Got your Mario Kart. It's it's got Super Mario World, which I still think is the quintessential video game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, you know that is like that beer that's like, damn, 
I just want to keep having this beer, but it may not be, in your case at least, the beer that breaks beer for you. Yeah, so a five for me, and this is my rating system, so don't at Spencer, but I know you won't at me because I'm perfect and my rating systems are great. <laughs> Here's the thing. Here's uh, a the five thing. is a Switch, which I just bought, and that's my uh, present to myself for finishing Red Market, and Breath of the Wild might be my new religion. Really? It is everything I ever want out of a game. And here's the thing. It's so chill, and it's so Shadows of Colossus-y, and yet it's still a Zelda game. And if I don't want to watch what's on TV, I just grab it and play it next to the TV. And if I want to play it on TV, I play it on TV. Oh, God, it's great. I never have to give up the console for the main... It's so good. I I love the hell out of it. Uh, And so a five is a Switch. Yeah. So if this is a beer that breaks beer for you, it's a Switch today. Mm -hmm. So we're going to get a lot of anger comments. uh, We we neglected the 64 and the GameCube. No, they're not integers. That's right. I didn't neglect them. They're just not integers. (laughs) Yeah, people. Do you hear how that works? So, like, I really liked Pulp Fiction. It just wasn't an integer. (laughs) Uh, Too little, too late. All right. (laughs) We're going to grab some beers. We're going to rate some shit. And we'll be back in a second. Spencer, what are you drinking? So, you recently went to St. Louis and mm-hmm. brought back 52 beers. Yes. Is that what it was? I threw away some clothes to right. make room. Yeah. Also, to the gentleman who tweeted at us in response to the picture of 52 beers, you know that this picture makes you look like an alcoholic. <laughs> I think. Have you heard the show before? I think producer Ross's response is still the single greatest tweet <laughs> in history to that. So, if you haven't been on Twitter and seen that exchange, go find it. Having said that, this is one of those 52 beers. One fifty-second of the way to me actually being an alcoholic. This is from Santa Fe Brewing Company. It's their Adobe Igloo Winter Ale, brewed with cacao and chili. And I'm going to be honest, this is not a Stillwater rule because I've been drinking this thing since we started the episode. Not because it's the best thing I've ever had, but because I was surprised that I liked it as much as I did. This is a three for me. It's mm. a hard NES. Um, typically, I am not crazy about winter ales. I think that they go out of their way to put too many odd spices in things. Yeah, uh, but I think we've, that, we've had we've talked about the holiday problem. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, the combination of cacao and chili is a really nice com- combination. Cacao. Yeah, uh, the cacao gives it a little bit of flavor on the back end, uh, some of that bitterness, and the chili lightens up what is kind of like a standard ale. So it drinks like a brown ale a little mm-hmm. bit um, with just some spice on it. So it's really nice, super drinkable. It's got an adorable can. It's like an eight bit. Adobe themed beer mug, um, uh, not eight bit Christmas sweater. Yeah, eight bit Christmas sweater. Well, is what no, I would just say. Christmas sweater, like. Well, yeah, but we all know Nintendo invented Christmas sweater, <laughs> and super topical <laughs> given that this is an NES. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean. So uh, you're welcome, universe. <laughs> um, anyways, while I'm consuming this, what are we talking about? Before we get to that, can we talk about the Luke's liquor thing again? Yeah, let's do you, it. you 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 want to say that we we look like alcoholics in that picture? You should have seen that cart. That was the worst cart I've ever pushed. So it was full of nothing but booze. And I go rolling into the checkout like Tokyo Drifting. That's up a bit. Just moving it sideways. It will not stay straight. It was comical. Uh, if only we had video. Uh, you'd all really think we were alcoholics. That video would make us look like alcoholics. Yeah, we couldn't do that. Um, anyway, in dissecting our fun... 
Uh, we're going to talk about a question from, help me out here. Uh, Mr. I don't K. Yep. Mr. K. K. All right. Mr. K. Suggests that we talk about the following. How do you recognize a potentially good game on Kickstarter or similar? There's a secondary question here. Is crowdfunding the future of tabletop games or just a bubble waiting to burst? So we're actually not going to spend too much time on the second question as we've addressed the bubble of Kickstarter and crowdfunding uh, episodes and episodes and episodes ago. I think yeah, on two different If it's occasions. a bubble, everything is. So yeah. don't worry about it. Uh, but we do want to spend some time talking about the first part of that question, which is how do you recognize a potentially good game on Kickstarter? Uh, and you really couldn't have a better audience here to talk about that in Caleb and Producer Ross. Producer Ross in particular, who likes to drink a little bit and then come up with ideas for making games. So obviously, why wouldn't you drink a little bit and then go on Kickstarter looking for games? <laughs> I assume that's also part of You want to tell why. them about your skeleton game? You devised okay. uh, Alright, so the genesis of that was that somebody uh, on one of the chat rooms or things that I'm on linked to, or somehow I got a, a, a whole a found out that on Amazon you can buy a hundred plastic skeleton figures for like ten dollars. Read drunken googling. All right, <laughs> I know someone. It wasn't someone told me about it. Sure, and they they were prime. Was his name Anheuser Busch? No, ugh, it would be. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, I have standards, sir. So. Uh, I ordered them because they were prime shipping and it was only $10. <laughs> and I was like, I bet I could do a game. <laughs> Wait, are you telling me that if shipping had been $3, 13 would have been too much that, for you? That free two-day shipping. Yeah. Like, that, that's, the, that's, how, that's how they get you. It's the seductive nature of Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I came up with an idea with a game where everyone's playing The Lord of the Undead, bit making bids and planning out their plans for the year using skeletons as currency. Uh, for so the- my first tip for Kickstarter, you follow the best game pitch I've ever read, which is Rossi and me saying, I got drunk and these skeletons were on sale, so I designed a game. <laughs> which, I mean, hit subscribe now. I'm in. Uh, so uh, in in all uh, seriousness, though, because that's what we're about at the Mix 6 Podcast. Yep. Um, Somber, even. Yes, we're, we're very, very uh, business-like. He's, he's he's crinkling the skeletons the skeleton. on, <laughs> on the on the. We haven't right? played the game yet, so I'm not I'm not uh, uh, unwrapping them or you know getting them out of the package. Oh, they have to be mint in box. They, well, I mean, it's part of the, it will be part of the recordings, us breaking them open and doling them out. <laughs> right? All right. Anyway, uh, so if you're on Kickstarter, you're looking for good games to invest in. Um, things I would suggest first and foremost. Um, I'm going to go against the conventional wisdom and not say first game, not not say don't back it if it's the first game someone's ever made because that's the you know experience problem of you know applying for if jobs. It's a, if it, well, it, depending on what the scope of the project is, if it's a small like print on demand book, like oh I, yeah, we're making Star Wars movie yeah. without consulting well, but Disney, if they're doing like, like that kind of shit yeah if they're doing an indie storytelling game that's like 100 yeah pages yeah if they know if they know what they're doing yeah. uh within scope don't don't be turned off just as the first thing they've ever done yeah. in fact that's what kickstarter is for you're there yeah. to be the hipster kid uh of games and say i like them before they were cool mm-hmm. that is the point of the endeavor or at least it used to be and how yeah. it was funded and so do that what i will say don't back it if they've never backed a project before Hmm. If they don't fucking know how Kickstarter works, <laughs> you're in for a rough ride if you throw money to that person. So if they've never backed anything, if they've had an account for all of one day and it's not linked to another account, like say if and that's the other thing, like if it's an account for a company that they started and it's like attached to a person, you could look for that person's Kickstarter right, account. Right. But if it's like the first time they've touched Kickstarter, huge red flag. Yeah. For big, sure. big red flag. For sure. Yeah. Um 
I don't know. Do you back a lot of games on Kickstarter? Uh, I no. So, so I don't. Um, Brandy spends a lot of time looking at Kickstarter games, yeah. uh, and I think I think she's backed a couple at this point. I don't know. Sometimes, like when I'm playing video games or watching football, I just look over and she's on Kickstarter, like pushing like yes to things. So I don't know. I don't know how much money we've actually spent on Kickstarter. I'm being honest. Uh, the thing that I spent the most money on was was Red Markets. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. It's a game of economic Hey-o. horror. It's a very large book. And very difficult to ship internationally. <laughs> uh, but but I do spend a lot of time looking at games on Kickstarter, and if something catches my eye, uh, I'm willing to spend money on it. So one of the things that helps me is a good video, if I'm being totally honest. Mm. Uh, and two things about a good video. One is, do you adequately explain the game in a way that I feel is like on brand, on tone with what it is you're trying to get me to do? And second, like, have you put some fucking time into the thing? You know what I mean? Like... Is it more than just you talking about your game at the camera? And I'm not saying that there can't be some good to come out of that, but I am saying that the people that go out of the way to put some stills, some images of the game art, uh, who show people actually playing the game, who have built in some animations, and I know some of that's a problem because there's like budgetary restrictions and that many, you know, many uh, uh, Kickstarters are trying to raise money to be able to do stuff in the first place. So to put money into a video is difficult you mm-hmm. know, at, at, at the, the it's outside their core competency, right? Too. For sure. Uh, but man, if you do some work on a fucking video, I got to think you're doing some work on the fucking game too, right? And so it, it suggests to me a level of quality that I'm looking for yeah. and polish. Um, I don't want to end up with a game that is 65% of a, of a vision that you half-baked and then mm-hmm. put on Kickstarter and got some people interested in. Yeah. Um, a lot of people are not following that video thing. Yeah. Um, but what I will say is be able to answer questions about the mechanics. Yeah. Um, I understand not putting that in the forefront if, like, that is not the thing that pitches your game, the innovative mechanic. Right. Um, but, like, have an update about it. Like, Man. have something in an FAQ about it. Because, like, you need to indicate to me that you are not um, – Peter Molyneuxing this like yeah. this is the game that shall reinvent video games right. with mechanics. I've not yet consulted anyone who can go about like yeah. don't do that. Like you need to have demonstrated to me. Eh, we tried it out a couple times. It seemed fun. It worked. Like yeah. Like have something on paper, uh, and the more you can get, the better to back a game for sure. And you've hit on another point there, which is something that is important to me. I will often look at, especially if I'm trying to figure out if I want to back a game or not, I will look at, if that person has other games, uh, their transparency, their communication. Mm-hmm. So, like, recently I've kind of, like, been reading about the fallout of the Terminator game, I think it is. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it wasn't that it got delayed a year. It was that it got delayed a year after no one heard anything about it for a mm-hmm. long time. And mm-hmm. then, oh, by the way, it won't be here for another year. Yeah. Um, that kind of shit drives me Terrible insane. Idea. If you don't have the kind of respect for your backers who are, and I cannot underscore this enough, literally the people helping you make your thing then I don't think that you have a whole lot of interest in putting out a thing that I'm going to enjoy when it's I put out an update today that basically just said the book is at your house right exactly yeah Right, it's, it's, and probably didn't need to communicate that. The but zombies like, are already inside the house. <laughs> right. yeah. But over communication is your friend here. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. You know, I, I firmly believe that when people are left to fill in the blanks on their own, they'll fill them in in the most negative ways possible. So over communication is really important to me mm-hmm. uh, from the creator's perspective. Yeah. I need to know what's going on, especially if I'm investing in your ability to get your thing done. Yeah, if I wanted to buy a game at Walmart, I'd go to game buy a game at Walmart. That's right, like, yeah. I, I buy a game at Pixar because I can talk to you about it. Right, exactly. Yeah. I also like to see uh, uh, some measure of the game 
reasonably built. I, I guess what I'm trying to... I like to see some of the Like a draft assets. of the rules? Yeah. like Just what, plain text, no layout. Right, yeah. What am I going to end up with here? You know yeah. what I mean? And if you tell me that it's a white box version or you tell me that it's just a PDF of rules or something like that, that's cool. I want to know there's a thing that I'm buying. Like, not just an idea, not just some narrative that well, you've talked a thing about. Is, a digital product is still a thing. Right. Like, yeah, don't make me invest in a premise. Make it clear that I'm investing in a product right. that I will one day see. And that has A some product legs. that is somewhat, if not entirely, designed. Right. And that you are going to deliver to me, but for the fact that you have no startup money, yeah. ipso facto, Kickstarter. Yes, at, exactly. At this point, I'd also be more cautious about Kickstarters that promise a lot of uh, add-ons or oh, stretch any goals. physical rewards that are not the physical reward. Yeah, so like T-shirts or coffee mugs or anything like that. Right. Like, that's not necessarily a deal killer, but it's definitely... A negative in my in my estimation. Every time there's one more, it's yeah. a deal killer times two. Like it's an yeah. exponential deal killer. Yeah. Like, so if you didn't back red markets because I offered dice along with the book, I can't blame you. Right. I probably shouldn't have backed red markets <laughs> with dice and a book. It almost destroyed me as a man. Uh, at, as a human, listen to Roblin Public Radio yeah. Game Designer Workshop Episode 16, Shipping, Comma the Devil. And you know what? Had it been dice plus a T-shirt, you probably. Would have been even more justified sure. to back up. Yeah. And if it was dice and a t-shirt and a keychain, look for a door. Run away. Like, run away. Yeah, Get out sure. of there. Yeah. So the more physical stuff they're offering, the more of a pain in the ass they are putting into their own ass. Right. And a past amount of time, uh, unless that's blows up big and this is their full-time job, there's going to come a point where they don't want to put in that much effort anymore. Yeah. And you're probably not going to get what you... Bought. No. Yeah. Are you familiar with Chaosium? Uh, no. <laughs> okay, so Chaosium put out the role-playing game A Call of Cthulhu. Oh, and yeah, they yeah. did a Kickstarter for a, a boxed campaign set uh, for Horror of the Orient Express, which is like a, it came out to be like a 10-pound box. I have it. I can show you. Um, and they raised like $250,000 or $300,000, a lot of money for it. But they had add-ons, including, and I shit you not, a matchbook. Uh, that was like on of the horror uh, of the Orient Express postcards and posters and da 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 all these things and because of all these add on goals, it literally bankrupted the company and other people had to come in and invest and save chaos. To be clear, the, the reason I went with my international distributor is because they're the people that saved chaos. <laughs> And I'm like, well, if they could ship that motherfucker, they could ship 10 <laughs> dice. For sure. And yeah. I was right, eventually. Um, but yeah, uh, you got to watch out for the excess of physical rewards. You have to watch out for people that ha- know nothing about Kickstarter, as evidenced by never backing Kickstarters. Yeah. Or they view Kickstarter as something beneath them that they're just using for a money grab. So, like, they've never contributed. They've never Licensing. Found, yeah, they've never found an deals. artist's vision yeah. enough to invest personally yeah. in, and then they're going to ask your own money. Right. Um, so give people that it's their first time on Kickstarter a shot, especially if they've, you know... If it's a modest product. Modest product. They've looked at other Kickstarters and how they're structured, and they have had some engagement in the community, but if they're just, like trying to money grab and they don't know anything about it um back out yeah um and i'm gonna do the other thing grammar yeah i know it's the english teacher in me but well if they can't take the effort to proofread copy yeah. did you spell check this motherfucker yeah. <laughs> like, yep. using the I, right I, yeah effect versus effect yeah. yeah if you if you can't run it past an editor for like your 750 words of kickstarter text like uh, I am not 
certain you're going to, you know, dot your I's and cross your T's. And I'm not saying one mistake, I'm out, but like, you'll know if it's bad. Like, yeah. you'll know if it's like, this right. is There's this is theme. indicative of psychology. Yeah. Like, this is not a, a grammar issue so much as a someone who doesn't I have learned. Yeah, I have learned something about you issue. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, grammar. That's my uh, one last thing. Uh, I know at the beginning of the segment you said uh, invest in a Kickstarter. It's not investing because you're not getting profits. That's fair. Yep. So that that's that's a <laughs> important distinction now because there are crowdfunding platforms that do allow for investment for profit. Sure. Uh, so. Technical. Thing. That's a reasonable distinction. Yeah. I, I understand the use of the phrase here because you're investing in the ability to get the thing before you get gamble the thing. on a pre-order. The payoff. Yeah, yeah, but it's not investment in that you get equity for. I had to explain this to my dad a couple weeks ago in terms of party foul. He's like, so people are going to own the game. I said, well, yeah, in the way that you own the game when you buy the game. They're not going to own pre-ordering. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, good distinction. Uh, Those are our thoughts on how to identify a potentially good game on Kickstarter. Notice we didn't talk about things like theme or mechanic because I think our collective assumption was you probably know what kinds of things and mechanics you like. So we were talking about how to You understand your taste. That's right. Uh, Amongst the nuance of taste. Worker placement, fuck you! That's right, that's right. Uh, (laughs) So on that note, we're going to grab more beer. We're going to grab another topic, and we'll be back in a second with Mixed Six Mock Draft. And it's been a while. It has been a while. Caleb, what is that you are consuming? I am drinking from Big Money Brewing, the Blueberry Blonde, an ale brewed with natural blueberry flavor. I'm going to try it on here. Here we go. I'm not a big blueberry fan, so I'm curious to see what happens when it's in beer. <clears throat> that's a that's an SNES for me. No shit. I mean, blueberry might give me a plus two to beer. Like, what? I love blueberry as a flavor, and the fact that they're putting it in beer now is just... I, I feel like I'm living in the future. Like, I'm grateful to be alive at a time in which blueberry can be in beer. You sound like Brendan Fraser in Blast from the Past. I, I mean, Did you I know did. they're putting blueberry in beer now? <laughs> I, I, I'm fine with that comparison because yeah, I'm thrilled reasonable. about it. And frankly, to be thrilled about anything in 2017 is a unique opportunity. That's a good point. Um, so uh, I'm pretty thrilled about this uh, blueberry blonde ale. It's insanely drinkable. It tastes like a blueberry bagel in a liquefied form in my mouth. Yes, I'm just thrilled about it. So uh, it's an SNES. Well, that's pretty exciting that we got our first four of the episode. And while you drink that, we're talking about the Mixed Six Mock Draft, which is our number two vote getter this Thank week. Thank you. Uh-huh. And on for this one, Greg B. lays down the gauntlet for us. Good pick. And asks, the mis- Mixed Six is selected to make a record of the greatest one-hit wonders of all time. Tasked with curating your side of the record to make sure you have the best songs, which one-hit wonders do you choose? And I gotta be honest, like, I dug and dug for this one. I did not. Well, here's the weird thing. I picked solely for my life, because uh, if one-hit wonders are about anything, they're about the moment. That's totally and true. And time doesn't exist past when I'm alive. That's totally true. <laughs> so, here's what's crazy. I dug and dug, right? And I ended up picking three that were very much from my lifetime. <laughs> And probably were the three that had I just sat at my desk long enough and thought hard enough, I would have come up with anyways. I looked at like seven different lists and I was like, nah, that, it is what it is on these. Um, as always with the Mix 6 Mock Draft, we'll go in snake order mm-hmm. and we'll roll to see who gets to go first. All right. I rolled a 16. Feeling good about this one. 
You rolled a 14. Feeling really good about this one. All right. So uh, I will take my number one draft pick off the board first just to be safe here. So I'm going to go in reverse order. Is that okay. fair? Are yeah. you cool with that? Whatever you want to do. Yeah. No, I'll go with my number. No, I'll go with my number three. I'll go with my number three. Okay. Number three draft pick for me by Sir Mix-a-Lot. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Baby Got Back. That's a good one. That is, I'll tell you what. So first off, if you've been to any dance ever since like 1990, whenever the fuck that came out, you've heard Baby Got Back. You may have been at like a very somber dance. Like, I don't know, some musical interlude after a funeral. 50% chance Baby Got Back came on, okay, mm-hmm. is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Because that mm-hmm. song has been literally everywhere for the last 20 years. Yep. And here's the best part about Baby Got Back. They're all, playing it like Christian mixer dance now. Are. Like youth camp, Baby Got Back, yeah. Almost everyone in the room knows at least enough words to Baby Got Back. To, to kind of mumble with, through it. That's right. To yeah. sing parts of it and then mumble loudly through it while they just kind of gyrate. God, it's, it's like a Christmas carol. It's, yeah, it really is, right? It's just, so it's like, it's a gift in that everyone kind well, of you can knows celebrate it. butts year-round, Ross. Yes. And we're all a little into it enough to dance. <laughs> so it's Baby Got Back by Sir Mix-a-Lot. What's number three for you? Oh, wait. Yeah, what's number three for you? Uh, it's not going to compare to that. Okay. That's a good pick. Yeah, uh, thank you. But, but, I'm going to go with... But, Sex and Candy uh, by Marcy's Playground. That's first off that that might be for me like quintessential '90s song. <laughs> yeah, like it's the first, which is thing. a quintessential one-hit wonder time. Absolutely, yeah. The <laughs> '90s were just one-hit wonders. Yeah, and, and as the, the music fish. industry was dying, right? All that survived were brief flashes of inspiration that then quickly fizzled in nothing. Yeah. yeah, and it's it's a creepy song, but it's also a great song. Yes, yeah. It also suggests like some potential that is never ever going to be realized by right. Marcy's Playground. Yeah, pretty good song considering like the era of MTV in which it is being played. Right. Uh, like I mean, Metallica was making like an album where I heard nothing but cymbal ring right. at that time and period. Like uh, there's Weekly. just yeah, there there's there was some terrible terrible stuff on the radio, um, and it was it was not bad. I'll still sing along to it, talking about like sing sing you know you know the words. It's got sex and candy in yep, it. Yep, yep, totally agree. You want the sex and candy. It's pretty clear. Um, and it's, you know, pretty melodic and nice. And, and it goes nowhere. It just exists. And then it ceases to exist in history. The moment it has stopped playing, you forget it exists right. until it comes on again. And yep. then you're like, oh, sex and candy by Marcy's Playground. And the beauty of the 90s is that they could have made one other song called I Still Smell Sex and Candy. <laughs> And people have been like, this is the second greatest song of the 90s. And they didn't. <laughs> they didn't. There's nothing no. else there. I don't even know if they actually have an album that isn't just Sex and Candy. I'm sure something happened to Marcy's Program. Don't at me. I don't want to know. Right. For nope. me, they ascended into history. Done and perfect. They sublimed yep. into what they we were. We need to have a count were. of like how many times you guys say, don't at me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't Maddie, at me about that. Maddie, get yeah. on that super cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Number two for you. Uh, number two for me in Snake Order is something that I consider quintessential one-hit wonder yeah, I because that. it only exists in a time and a place yeah. you can't do it before you can't do it since nope. it's because i got high by afro man yeah it's a really good pick uh if you're gonna go one-hit wonder you go joke song and it's the ultimate joke song aside from like grandma got run over by a reindeer and who infinitely wrote, more listenable. who wrote grandma run over a reindeer? right exactly. you don't know right. you know who wrote because i got it high from it was afro man yeah because that's his whole Christian name? That's it. I assume. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, because I got high, uh, old people listen to it. Old hippies love it. 
Uh, dumb, dumbass teenagers love it. It's really like a rallying cry for a certain subset of society. Uh, I don't think you could have it today because it's like, oh, weed's legal in all these states. Right. Wow, so edgy. And I don't think you could have it before because it's just a song about smoking weed and not doing things. Uh, which is like the quintessential uh, one-hit wonder ethos yeah. in my mind. So right. it re- it's really a it's really an re- anthem of the I'm never going to do another song that anyone listens to ever again generation. Right. I'm a, I'm gonna I'm gonna blow it I'm all. I'm gonna on live on thing. this song. Right. And I'm gonna <laughs> blow it on this thing. And it worked for him. Uh, number two for me, probably not as strong a pick in terms of at a time and a place, mm-hmm. but infinitely stronger in name something else that they've done. <laughs> okay. Blue by Eiffel 65 (laughs) is one of, like, first off, I don't know. One of the most annoying songs ever to be written. But also the moment you say Blue by Eiffel 65, everyone who's heard it is like, I'm blue. They just start doing it in their head. You know what I mean? It goes like, yeah, it goes the song that never ends. And then right underneath that, yeah. in terms of annoying songs, is Blue by <laughs> Eiffel 65. That's right. And uh, and shout out to my wife here. She was insistent for years that the words were, I'm blue. If I were green, I would die. <laughs> Which adds... <laughs> Brandy wins this mock draft. Which adds... that's fantastic. What? Actual words to daba dee daba die. <laughs> Which is like so kind of her. Somewhere Eiffel 65 is listening to this and they're like, oh my God. Why didn't we do that? That would have been. It would have changed everything. That would have been English. So uh, Blue by Eiffel 65 is number two for me and number one for me in the snake order draft. And this one. Oh my god, I'm trying to highlight things on my computer and it's suggesting I use the Eiffel, or the new Oxford American Dictionary. I assume it too heard Eiffel 65's blue. Number one for me, I literally don't know. I think that at the end of the day, if you had to bury one-hit wonders, like they went away. Every other artist only ever made entire albums. I don't want to live in that world. All, no, absolutely world. not. They would bury this song as the one-hit wonder. And I'm, I'm shocked that I don't see it on your list, but I'm excited. I don't think there's a bigger one-hit wonder than the Macarena by Los Del Rio. I mean, no, it fits. It's, it's, it's in there. First off, in terms of at a time in a place, I think that, I think that it wins, wins the mock draft here because can you think of the last time literally – I assume everyone on earth knew how to actually do the Macarena for <laughs> three to six months in like 1993. Have you been at a wedding where they played it recently? Yes. People ha- still ha- know it. They still know it. Have you seen the confusion on the children's faces? Oh, yeah. Because it's the best part. <laughs> when you have, like, a 14-year-old kid who has no fucking idea what's going on, but every adult in the room starts moving in uniform Macarena lockstep, <laughs> it's like full-blown cosmic horror. Yeah, they don't know what's episode. happening. That's right. Yeah, they, yeah, it is, yeah. It is pretty great That's, to watch. It's, it, it, it is the coming of the Cyberman. I mean, it is, yeah. It's frightening. And so, like, it holds a special place in my heart. Uh, I don't know when the Macarena it comes out 92 93 maybe uh i <laughs> always been out that's true yeah that's the thing right the <laughs> macarena has always been out as far as we're concerned um i made my mother drive me to a best buy and i didn't know who 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 sang the macarena no one really sings the mock first off everyone sings the macarena yeah, okay yeah, yeah. just as everyone dances it i drove her to best buy so that i could buy a jack jams cassette that I think had 12 other songs on it, and I've never listened to one of them. <laughs> because the Macarena, I think, was like track one, side one, 
And that that cassette's probably still in perfect working order, but for that piece of tape right there. Uh, I think the Macarena is the single greatest one-hit well, wonder of all time. Well, vaporwave Macarena rosses into that. Yeah, no, I'm some, sure there's an album re- remix. Some real ghost house. <laughs> Number one on your list. Mall soft Macarena. Um, <laughs> mine is Take On Me by AHA. Yeah. Because in terms of one-hit wonder, you want, like... You want something that is so powerful, why do anything else? And yeah. Take On Me holds up. Like It was a one-hit wonder before I was listening to music, before I understood what music was. Right. It was a one-hit wonder when I was investigating music. It's a one-hit wonder now, and I'm still thrilled that it exists. Sure. And I couldn't tell you one other song that aha makes i could list scene by scene breakdowns of the, the video, video for take on me i could like listen to i could tell you all the covers of yeah. take on me really yeah. fish one of my favorite right. um and it's just a fantastic song and that's that's another thing about one hit wonders that we seldom talk about sometimes it's a one hit wonder like to kill a mockingbird should have been a one hit wonder like yeah. oh okay that hit so hard so good just give it just up just stop yeah find a different Shut career now right. like yeah. you've peaked it's over it's sad in like a you know athlete dying young kind of way if you go on but maybe just cease right here. You've done this beautiful thing. Right. Go on. No, I totally um, agree. So Take On Me is beautiful. Also, one of the best Family Guy bits uh, in, their, in their long run. <laughs> in their limited run of when, good bits. Yeah, when Chris like falls through a fucking produce <laughs> section or something at a grocery store and ends up in the video is like one of the best things they've what done. What happened? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so good. Uh, good argument. I I think like most of the Mix 6 mock drafts, I've probably won this one. No, Brady won. Uh, I, I have fair. three. Yeah. I, could, I could do real Jump quick. Jump in. Uh, who Let the Dogs Out is number three. Yep. Yep, totally fair. Yep, yep. Uh, I'm going to go more recent, though. Uh, number two, uh, who let, uh, what does the fox say? Uh, oh, wow. Oh, yeah, that's that, not coming back. Yeah. We're never going to hear from those motherfuckers again. <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. for some reason, I think of that as an internet sensation and not a one-hit wonder. But, maybe but it is. It totally Maybe is. that's where one-hit wonder is. And the migrate. number one would be yeah. Gundam Style, the, uh, oh, the South Korean oh, one. Oh, God, I do love that song. Yeah, yeah. Do so, you? Great. you it's, like, very, it's got a great video. I love Gangnam Style. Are you kidding me? What happened here? Like what the fuck happened? We were having a reasonable conversation, <laughs> and then and then we went through the produce section, and we've ended up in the take on me video. Uh, I gotta go now. All right, well, Brandy won. That's what we need to know. Yeah. Okay. More beer. More stuff. We'll be back. If I was green, I would die. Spence, what are you drinking? So the name of this beer is so long that the whole segment is just going to be me reading the name of the beer, trying it, and then we're doing something Do you have else. a chair, like with a cushion? Yes. Yeah. Everybody have a seat. Everybody take a break. Uh, this is from Omnipolo, or Omnipolo, or Omnipollo. Or Omninipple? That, uh, that's what I heard. <laughs> uh, maybe. I don't know anymore, guys. Yeah. Um, Anyways, if someone could, got it. If someone could actually <laughs> at me and let me know what the name of this brewery is, that'd be great. Anyways, this is the Pleroma. It's a raspberry creme brulee sour ale brewed with lactose sugar with raspberries and vanilla added. <gasps> so all of the ingredients they just decided to list, which is an interesting naming convention. Um, so anyways, Stillwater Rule, I've not had this before. Clearly, I don't know how to fucking say it. <laughs> yeah, uh, it smells the weirdest. So it here we smells go. hoppy for me. Right. Yeah, yep. it's it's not. I didn't smell the sour much at all. Uh, I have a little of it as well. I'm gonna withhold my 
review until yeah yeah <laughs> okay as as he was drinking i saw his eyes sort of sort of dart back and forth like he'd been caught in a trap or something <laughs> there was a moment of panic <laughs> um so it's intense it's intense yeah there's a lot there the front end the front end okay. when i when i when i get it on the on the lips i'm like oh it's a sour but then I let it process down the tongue, and it's like, oh, no, it's a sour and cough medicine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What is happening? I'm guessing yeah, yeah. it's the lactose sugar. I don't know. Oh, that's fine. No, that no, it's not. No, it's, I made a mistake. Yeah. So, so I guess the front end is a three. The back end is a zero. <laughs> it just gets more. So it's a virtual boy for me. I do not oh, like this beer. Oh, that's a one? Yeah, wow. I don't like this beer. I'd, I'd give it a two, but it's a... Uh... I won't give it a two because I don't want to drink it. Like, even in the worst of times, I would I would order water before I would order this beer again. I do not care for that back end at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it's too intense, yeah. It's, yeah. Just, it's just too sour. I don't know if it's the combination of the lactose sugar or the raspberries or the vanilla added. Uh, but, but something... Or the creme brulee. But something on the back end just, just is strongly medicinal um and not in a way that i'm looking forward to so anyways wait no it's a one i just drank my beer and it still tastes like that beer right yeah so it's ruining it's ruining one. other yeah. beers yeah. yeah uh so anyways while i drink this we're into ask mixed six where for some reason you ask us questions where maybe you want to know about life maybe you want to know about the world maybe if you're copernicus crane you want to know could you guys talk a little about how postmodernism works if the person pulling fresh meaning out of something is an idiot? Well, first off, it's 2017. Yes. Shut it down. <laughs> mm-hmm. Look look at the news. You can see this happening right now. Uh, everywhere, all the time. Yeah. And uh, postmodernism was a mistake, as we learned from the beer. Thanks and, to water. And now we're learning about the theory of meaning yep. a lot of people say the architecture too <laughs> yeah a lot of people yeah. do say that yeah, yeah. uh so how, how do thanks, you thanks frank gary <laughs> yeah really we all know our thoughts on frank gary in this <laughs> we don't need to go over that again I, i'm just imagining people going back looking for our frank gary screen <laughs> right that never it's happened. not there yeah uh so um yeah how do you deal with it well first off I think it's time to move beyond. I think it was time to move beyond postmodernism before postmodernism started to literally destroy uh, all we hold dear <laughs> um, by eliminate by by not just like stratifying reality or uh, sieving reality to a variety of strains, but by outright destroying reality, Karkoska esque. Um, I don't think we knew what we were getting into, and ultimately, um, I. I have trouble saying this because, like, I love postmodernism as a theory. I love the way it recovers things that have been, uh, you know, thought of as uh, scripts. You know, the the sociological definition of madness. Um, you know how we're how we're defining that by norms rather than by medicine and ignoring that fact and and having done that for years. I think there's a lot of good that's been come from postmodern theory um, because it is sort of, you know, killing sacred cows, you know, killing ideas that all things are that way and that's immutable. Uh, but I, I do, I hate to give uh, conservative theorists the sort of credit for this. It's just, while at one point I thought the idea of um, when you start saying every interpretation is valid, um, it's a slippery slope was ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and I do think it is largely ridiculous to go that far. Sure. Um, what was wrong of me in my education of postmodernism was thinking that because it is ridiculous to take it that far and because I would never be so ridiculous as to do so, 
there aren't people that would definitely do so and right. profit from right. it. And I think that's where we're at right now. That's yep. my personal take on it. I totally agree. Um, so a little regret in how much I'm into postmodernism. I still think like money and Martin Amos is a great novel and I like metatextuality well done and all sorts of great stuff in literature and I got no problem. With, I got no beat with Frank Gehry. We quashed that in our rap battle years ago. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, it's it has gotten out of hand. Yeah, yeah. Um, I got. I have to admit that uh, I, I too like you. So I really appreciate the thought experiment at this point. That is the ability to play right with like really fluid boundaries around stuff. I think mm-hmm. it's awesome. Um, I think that once I. Uh, stopped being a combative, uh, you know, like repugnant, smug dick at some point in my life. And I was like, oh, well, let's try that. Uh, and then I just became a combative, smug, repugnant, postmodern dick at another <laughs> point in my life. But but I, there was real value there. It, it really forced me to rethink things and it forced me to explore ideas in really interesting ways. So see a lot of value in it. Having said that, um, and maybe and it starts at a good place. Like, yep. you know what? Being gay isn't a mental illness. Like, right. That's one of postmodernist biggest wins. Right. Like, and earliest wins. Like, it starts with like, no, that's not a value structure. That's right. just crazy talk. Right. And that's postmodernism at its greatest. Yeah. And like, when that's where it starts, I don't feel like you and I or other um, grad school assholes right. can be blamed by being sort of enamored. Right. With, you know, the the spear that killed that dragon. It's almost your job to be enamored by it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But at a certain point, yeah, we didn't see where it would go. Right. Yeah. And um, so, you know, at an ideological level, I, I, I really enjoy the, the, the philosophy of it. I really enjoy the freedom that it gives you. At a functional level, I think that there is a lot to be learned argumentatively. I think it's a good training ground for understanding how to argue effectively and how to uh, evaluate ideas comparatively and test hypotheses and claims against one another when there are not clear backdrops uh, uh, against which you can evaluate a claim, right? What do you mm-hmm. do if you don't have a stable set of evaluation criteria to figure out A is greater than B? You've got to create. You've got to get creative. You have to think critically. And so I think that at a functional level, there's a lot of value in exploring postmodernity and the framework of postmodernity um, to figure out how to argue, how to, how to be rhetorically effective. Um, but now at 31, I will admit, and I think that this is kind of what you were getting at, I am probably a little more conservative than I used to be in how I approach some things. And I don't mean that um, negatively. I'm not trying to decry where I am, but, but I am much more in the realm of I want to find principled positions that I hold dear and true and seem immutable to be to me. And I'm okay kind of like sacking up on those and saying, yeah, I'm fine with dynamism in all of these areas. This is, this is not questionable to me. There is no meta here. This is, this for me is a grand narrative that makes sense. And I'm okay Mm -hmm. with that. Um, in the context of the question, how, how do you how do you talk about postmodernism uh, and how postmodernism works if if the person pulling fresh meaning out of something is an idiot? You know, I, I don't know. I think I can kind of like guess what you mean by idiot, Copernicus, because <laughs> I've been there. Don't get me wrong. I was the idiot at some points, and I've been on the other side of the idiot. Um, for me, the issue, uh, you've got one of two options as far as I can tell. Um, in the course of a conversation where someone is just being um, idiot is good, uh, I think an asshole is another way of describing people who are who are taking this to some intellectual end for the purposes of winning an argument, which I find infuriating at this point in my mm-hmm, life. Mm-hmm. You can do one of two things: one, 
you can try to establish a principled position, right? This old, uh, what is it? Is it Archimedes? Give me a, a lever and a position to stand and I can move the world. Yeah, I don't know yeah. if that's Archimedes yeah. or not. Um, yeah, it sounds right. Yeah. Um, uh, if not, we could postmodernly say it's Archimedes. Yeah, for sure. Hey, yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> Death of the author. <laughs> um, that, that's right, yeah. I am, uh, you know, I'm, I think that one, the strategy number one is to find a principled position somewhere about which you can swing something. So it may not need to be a, a, a grand narrative. It may not need to be an overarching value system, but some foundation upon which both of you agree. And really the more effective version of this is to get that person to identify for you some immutable position about which they will not move. Now, if they're just not going to play that game, then you have to enact strategy number two. And strategy number two is to get the fuck out of the conversation. Yeah. Uh, it will be infuriating. Smoke bomb. It will, that's right. It will be circular beyond circularity. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I spent years in graduate school I have been this person. I have argued against these people. For me, the, the the example par excellence of the thing that you're talking about are the people who want to argue in terms of the instance of one. Uh, let me make a reasonably true claim, and then you'll respond with the point zero 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 one percent instance in which the claim is no longer true. Mm-hmm. And I will say, okay, yeah, but – here are the other 99.99 and you'll say, okay, but don't forget about this other point zero 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 two percent chance. Now, um, I, I spent enough time trying to come to terms with wrangling that person to where can we find some common ground only to realize that there isn't any, right? Because this is not how this is working at all anymore. And so if you cannot, if you cannot establish a principled base from which to make some evaluative claim, Get the fuck out, dude. Yeah, and like the other thing I will say is like, what do you do if the person is an idiot? I think the thing to reference, and I and I will say this probably it's self serving, but I'll say it anyway. I think it's important to notice that the person who is an idiot that is enabling postmodernism is not postmodernism correctly or well done. Um, so like for say, when I say like, hey, um, your tax cut raises the deficit by one point five trillion dollars, and you're like, yeah, it's a tax cut, and it's fiscally conservative. I'm like, yeah, but you're. You're borrowing $1.5 trillion to do it. That's the opposite of conservative that is pretty liberal with the deficit. It's like, well, that's your definition. Right. Yeah. Like fake news, that kind of stuff. That level of postmodernism is not postmodernism well done because right. it is. Isn't that just sophistry? I mean. Yeah, because it's authoritarian. Or, so or what is it? Uh, sophistry? Or the whatever I say is true is true? Uh, uh it is, um, I will say whatever I can to win the argument, right. which is not even sophistry, because like they're not winning the argument. You know how math works. Right. A plus is not a minus. Yeah. Um, and arguing that the definitions of such are, yeah. are different, it, that's not good postmodernism. Postmodernism is like there is something to consider in professional wrestling that is artistic and operatic. That's Barth's. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. It is like there is nothing beneath the dignity of criticism. Right. Uh, it is that class tells us certain things that does not tell us what the truth tells. Right. It is it is a killing of sacred cows. It is a contrarianism that leads to questioning things in fruitful ways that develops fruitful things in society. Yeah. And it, the reason it comes about is because as a reaction against this sort of authoritarianism, against this dogma, against this class right. system right. that says the truth is one way and reality only exists in one way. Yeah. However, when you start questioning things solely based on where it comes from, the class of the person doing it, you start coming around to things like, well, I'm not going to believe this thing just because the doctor said that being gay is, you know, and he is a mental illness and it's wrong. And that's right. You should not do that. And then that gets extended by idiots to, I'm not going to believe the doctor about anything. Right. Right. Like vaccines. <laughs> which yep. is, yeah, which is much easier than, 
I'm not going to have to read a bunch of history about how madness has been quantified through various generations and various cultures. I'm not going to have to do an extensive cross-cultural analysis of the definition of the words across multiple languages, which is all very hard and difficult. I will just say this person fucked up this big thing one time, and therefore I will disregard their entire class. Right, the instance of one. Yeah, yeah, the instance of one. Fox News are shitty journalists, and therefore all journalists are Fox News. Right, yeah. Is not good postmodernism because right. it's a new dogma. Right. Like, right. it's yeah. a new dogma. It's a new unalienable authoritarian mandate, which is what postmodernism was meant to blow up. That's right. But the fact of the matter is, is like, you can't blow up things. Right. So postmodernism was only ever going to be a stress test. It was only going to be how much pressure can this idea withstand before it breaks. Right. You can't build a society out of it, which is what I'm quickly learning. Sure. Because it has no value structure. Yeah. Um, and value structures need to be stress tested. They need to, you need, yeah, they need to exist, and there needs to be people in society that should seek to destroy it, if only to make it stronger. Absolutely right. And when that's it, yeah. when everything is definitional and uh, debatable, and right. there is no truth. Right. Shut it down. Yeah, you get 2017. That's right. That's absolutely right. Um, <laughs> you know, so maybe to, to kind of put a, 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 a dot on that eye, uh, I don't know that you can, I don't know that you could say postmodernism does work if the people involved in the conversations are idiots. Yeah. Um, it requires intentional interrogation and introspection, um, and I think it requires critical thinking uh, that might not Chains be... Chainsaws are very useful tools. Right. If you are not an idiot. That's right. Yeah, and yeah. they're a very dangerous weapon. Right. And so if you find yourself uh, in the position of attempting to argue with the consummate shadow boxer, the postmodern Muhammad Ali, yeah. get out, man. You ain't going to win. Okay? Yeah. Uh, on that note, thanks so much for the question, Copernicus Crane. We're going to grab more beer. We're going to grab Nerdsplainer, and we'll be right back. Caleb, beer four in this podcast is what? It is from Wasatch Breweries, Polygamy Nitro Porter. It's a really great can. Yeah. I, I want to be totally honest about that. We some, should take a picture of it and post it. Some full-blown uh, Renaissance-esque polygamy paintings yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. All right. He's taking a sip. He's it's been an all-can episode, too. Just kind of weird. Uh, he doesn't. He doesn't seem. I'm saying no higher than a three. I'd put money on maybe a two. Yeah, you, you're right. On nailed it. Yeah. Hashtag nailed it. <laughs> it's a Wii U. Whew. It's the Wii U of porters. Yeah. You don't you like porters usually? Yeah, I do. That's the wow. thing. Is it is it too light? Is that the problem? It's it's weirdly light in the middle. You get that sort of smoky taste on the front end that you expect of a porter. Yep. In the middle, it's just like. Water? 404, mm. you know, sight missing mm-hmm. <laughs> for flavor. And at the back, it gives you this weird sort of smoky aftertaste. Mm-hmm. And, like, there's no, like, caramelization, no chocolate in the middle of it. It's sort of like a porter in which they forgot to inject the software. Like, can I tell you the operating think- system of porter is there? And, like, it's just there's it's a glitch in the stuff. matrix. Yeah. Can I tell you what I think the problem is? I think the problem is the nitro. I look, I understand what nitro is supposed to do to a beer. I understand that I don't have a no. refined enough palate no. to get into it. I do not like nitro beers. Young's double chocolate, fantastic. Guinness, fantastic. They flatten beers for me. No. You need nitro on a certain porter. I had a really good nitro, like, raspberry ale uh, when I was in Seattle. 
uh, but it'd be interesting to try something. That was, that was like, like that in, in a uh, that was straight from the tap. I think so. Yeah. I would say, but for I'm not going to blame this on nitro because I I seek out nitro and. Hmm. It's a two. I mean, it's not terrible. They're just I don't. I drink the, it if I wanted a porter. Actually, two is kind of terrible. Porter. Yeah, yeah. Two is pretty. It's bad. not one. No. Well, well that's, fair. that's the worst. Right. It's, it can be terrible without being the worst. Yeah. Um, while Caleb uh, tries to convince himself that I'm right, that it actually probably <laughs> is the nitro, which has ruined the polygamy what? porter. No. Um, Maddie Gibbons wants to hear a post oh, Yeah, so again. we're into nerd splainer, <laughs> uh, which was your number one vote getter this week. Yeah, so yeah. People were looking for some nerd splanation. Uh, and we're kind of combining here. I'm going to be totally honest. Yeah. And Maddie Gibbons asked us a question that probably fits more in the in the the realm of Ready Player Drunk, which we haven't done in months. Yeah, our video game topic uh, about the nature of chivos and the way or achievements, achievements yeah. and the way that trophies change the way people play games. But it seems like such a perfect kind of crossover here to talk about a new mm-hmm. explainer. Um, neither you nor I really have that impulse but for a short period of time where i try to get every achievement i could in world of warcraft including flying around the entire universe um on my dragon which i did um um, that's not really our thing luckily we're sitting at the table with a man who is well versed in in the chivo and that's producer ross yeah so um we're gonna tag in producer ross to explain the dark world of the steam underground card economy oh cards and many and many other cards separate other things yeah Yeah. there's also a chivo economy though as well uh so i I thought we'd tag you in on this because uh, i know a little bit about it even though i've never pursued it myself Mm -hmm. uh because i basically if there's a story dlc downloaded finished completed done if i get a special skin or a badge fuck you i don't care (laughs) i'm gonna go do something else um so I, I thought we'd tag you in on this because uh, I investigate it from an economic standpoint mm-hmm. uh, for stuff like red markets. But sure. you, you have I seen the gritty, yeah, yeah, yeah. the gritty uh, <laughs> underground economy that is Chivos. And I think as a nerd splainer, Spencer's going to be a little alarmed at the degree to which this shit goes on. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so for, explain the premise a little bit for people like me, hypothetically, and or others who are unfamiliar with the, the Steam card economy. So in achievements... Well, cards are... Well, achievements are cards. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. We'll, yeah. Just, we'll just do Steam in general. So okay. Steam in general, if you are living under a rock, right. is a PC... Uh, gaming platform and Mac and Mac and computer in which you can download games obviously from a central marketplace buy and download buy and download from a central marketplace or trade or gift yeah um, and then you play it as sort of a you can also borrow games now through Steam oh cool I didn't know that that's yeah, yeah. Cool. sort of an operating system for specifically PC or Mac or computer gaming uh yeah yeah any any computer because it's on Linux as well now now the thing is that this has different from a console is that you know obviously uh, computer gaming is a bit more prescriptive promiscuous polygamist if you will <laughs> of uh the you know gaming license it does not go for exclusives or anything like that um but they still have the sort of things that give the console allure to average people so they will have achievements for certain points all mm-hmm. right things like that and then they will also have uh you know individual skins and they will also do steam exclusive items digital items that exist only in the game for steam yeah. uh and not for console things so yeah. um i think to I think we should go like chronologically on this because I really feel like this all starts in hat trading for Valve and TF2. Um, yeah, and again, achievements are totally separate from the digital item economy. So, but yeah. the the yep. the underground economy of Steam is based off the fact that you are essentially buying the grind work of other people for non-existent digital items or skins. 
using real money. Yeah. Would that so be would to, that be a bad definition? Um, yeah, because well, I think that's the same for hats or trading cards or anything else. There's there's variations, but sure. you're you're essentially trading, not unlike World of Warcraft character trading or gold farming for MMOs, where you are trading the grind work of doing this thing for the bragging rights of having done this thing for yeah. real money. Um, well, there's a couple things. So uh, achievements are separate things. Like you do a, a certain action in a game, you get an achievement, sure. which you can then share with others. Uh, and then you can like 100% a game get all the achievements for it. Digital items are a separate thing. And there's there's multiple types of them. Uh, there are trading cards, which you like if you buy a game uh, and you play it for X number of hours, you get like up to half of the – like. If you get all the trading cards for a particular game, you can then turn it in for a badge, which you then show on your profile, and you also get like a desktop wallpaper, an emoticon, all related to that game. So you get certain items, and you can do this multiple times to say, I have a level 10 badge in this video game. Um, The thing is, these trading cards can be traded on the Steam Marketplace, usually for a few cents per. Um, And here's the real dark part. Yeah. Designers get a cut. Yeah, and of Steam this gets trading. a cut. No shit. And Steam gets a cut of this trading. So what you'll have on Steam now, in which they're they're actually trying to do this, uh, trying to do a recent update to get rid of it, is that you'll get these trading cards for just playing the game. Sometimes you'll get them just for playing the game a certain number of hours. So there were people that will farm trading cards by turning a game on and then not playing it, or running multiple games at once on a PC to farm sure. trade cards and then trade them in this thing to sort of uh, you know develop money. Um, but what you'll have now is that since designers get a cut of these trading cards they develop, they will do asset flip clones, which are basically Unity assets bossed off the main store, redesigned in a minor way. And the point of the game is not to get a bunch of people buying the same game because there are asset flippers that do that. They will sell the game for pennies on the dollar in the hopes that you are buying the game to get an asset flip clone. So you'll get like Zombie Craft Z, and then you'll have Craft Zombie Y. And they will be essentially the same game with a different title and a different front screen. And the purpose of that is because they're selling it for you for five cents because they're not making money off selling the game because they didn't design the game because it's trash. They're making money off the trading cards people are farming in an attempt to go to the marketplace. Makes sense. So, yeah. And so, yeah, there's a Steam marketplace. uh, And another definition is skin. Uh, refers to a type of digital item that apply is like what's called a cosmetic. It doesn't make your character right. doesn't make your gameplay better, but it like instead of like when you see your rifle, you could have a skin on the rifle, so now it has camo paint on it or sure. red. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with this, so uh, and there's cos- all kinds of cosmetics. And he most people about- are familiar with this. Uh, I'm not sure everybody's familiar with the fact that there's like real money, perhaps connected to the Russian mafia trade. No, there definitely this is. shit. Um, <laughs> so the big thing, the reason why the Steam marketplace is so being why this is happening so much um, is the economic incentives of people who want to have their money in an asset that isn't being traced or really monitored. Uh, the Russian mafia is doing this through trading virtual items and Team Fortress 2. Some of these items can go up to like, you know, 50 bucks to uh, hundreds of dollars uh, for rare items. And uh, there have been full-blown economic statistical so like, analysis basically proving their money laundering and can't have that much value, even digitally, even based on demand. Jesus. So, yeah, it's only a fraction of this is actual real player demands. They're like, oh, I want this gold-plated skin for my assault rifle is like a minor thing. Uh, the two economic motives, one is, yeah, the Bitcoin or the Russian mafia kind of like hiding money, tran- you know, trading money 
uh, without uh, really doing anything. Right. The other and thing, to be clear, Bitcoin futures are traded on NYSE now. Yeah. Right? Yeah, so, because crazy. the thing yeah. is, if you get you don't you only get Steam money from it. You know, money that's only good for the Steam marketplace, but you can use that to buy real games, right? And then you can gift those games to people. So what people do is they'll trade a bunch of things, buy a game, then sell that game to a real person. You PayPal me, you know, for forty bucks instead of fifty bucks, and right. I'll give you the game. Jesus. So, uh, but the other thing is gambling. So uh, a Key lot trading of trading and loot boxes. Yeah, yeah. Well, not just loot boxes, but like uh, this started with uh, Counter Strike Go as uh, a popular competitive yeah. game. And uh, there are weapon skins for it, and some are very rare, very expensive. So a lot of players, the the third party sites would start to to where players and people who are interested in Counter Strike Go could bet on the outcome of matches using their skins as chips. And they never did age checks, so children were doing this. Mm. Their uh, entire YouTube channels dedicated to this, sponsored by professional gambling yeah. houses, of whom own a number of online poker video sites located in the Cayman Islands as tax shelters. So it's essentially the same thing yeah. for these people as online. So loot, loot boxes are really just the companies getting in on what, you know, these. Yeah. And Belgium has now defined them as officially gambling yeah, as yeah. well as the state of Hawaii. Hmm. Uh, so they are now legally gambling. Yeah, yeah. so the loot boxes are just the companies trying to catch up with these, sure. the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> these bet mat The these, underground economy. These yeah. bookies, essentially. Yeah, that's the word I was looking for. People really like drugs. What should we do about that? Right. Well, we should start making drugs. Make more drugs. Yeah. 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 So, uh, <laughs> so it's a huge, unregulated, really un- unmonitored financial marketplace. But yeah, if you have, like, I, uh, I stopped doing it, but I used to, like, every time I play a game, I get, like, five, you know, three to five Steam uh, trading cards. I'd put them up there for five cents a piece. Mm-hmm. And I, well, you know, oh, like, I eventually get five or 10 or 20 bucks. And I'm like, hey, that's a free game for me. Yeah. So, uh, and then the only reason I stopped was because of morality, because I was lazy. Like, right. they, they added a new authentication thing. So it was like, eh, eh. And then you found out that you unduly funded the Russian hacking of the U.S. election in 2016. And you're the reason <laughs> that Donald Trump got elected. Uh, cool, wow. That, 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 it was only, it only took a dollar? Really? Like, Postmodernism is back again. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the American political system is actually um, very The cheap. new thing that's happening is now achievement spam games. Which are games which um, will give you achievements, like you get on uh, PS4 or, right. or Xbox. Trophies. Or, yeah, uh, yeah. Trophies, things like that. However, getting a certain number of achievements basically gives you a gamer score, mm-hmm. uh, which on Steam is shown to everybody. Right. And uh, if you're a PC gamer, God knows you're not touching a console, and you're pretty much exclusive and yes, keen to tell sure. every everyone about how you only game on computer. So they're very, very fragile, vain creatures. <laughs> um, so what will happen is that these, you know, basically ego brittle, sad people will do anything they can get to have, you know, pro gamer uh, Steam profiles. I'm right here, Kate. and the way you get that is by he um, knows is by farming achievements. So they've developed an entire new genre of game in which there is almost no game, but turning it on gives you an achievement for turning it on, and then you get an achievement for having it on for one second, and you get the achievement for having it on for two seconds. You loaded your gun. That's ten achievements for every bullet. It's just this... It's brilliant. Yeah, they're just adding achievements to the game, and they sell for like five cents a piece yeah. in the goal of giving you these gold standard, like highly inflated um, Steam profiles just for vanity, and what they make for in mass, guess what? Well, they're selling it for five cents a piece. They're making for it in mass. But guess what? The achievement economy is also linked to the number of 
trading cards you get. So right. the developers are getting kickbacks on the trading card system for every p- dollar be, going in the market. I would be that guy that would just – I would get stuck in that. I need to be honest about this. <laughs> like I know myself well enough to know that like every time something pops up on the screen, I'm like, well, I'm going to do more of that now. Like I am <laughs> I am a slave. If it has a good sound. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or just like a nice little graphic like, hey, great job. Like the PlayStation trophies sometimes show up and I'm like, let's go find more PlayStation. So <laughs> in Steam, it's really in, in Insidious. You can look at your uh, achievements particular game. Uh, but then you can look at like to see how many uh, what percentage of the player base for that game has achieved that achievement. Yep. Uh, so you'd be like, oh, only 0.1% of the players have ever done this. Going to do that. Yep, exactly. Yep. So it's a meaningless social economy that mm-hmm. has no bearing on the real world, and yet people will dedicate time to it. And that time, that use value of time, has been converted through this sort of economic voodoo yeah. into actual money right. by developers that pull out achievement spam and card flipping scams and all sorts of crazy stuff. And we have even talked about like Eve Online or some of like the fucking currency, you know, shorting false flag shit that they get onto. But like, here's the best I, part. I actually believe that intelligence agencies look at Eve players and recruit actively from that place. And why the fuck wouldn't they? Yeah. God, like the CIA wishes they were effective as your average <laughs> Eve Online player. Um, but yeah, there's this whole like underground dark world to Chivos. That uh, um, you don't really touch on the console space right. so much as you do in the computer space. And I, I was a console player until right now, so Caleb and Ross are going to get more beer. I'm moving to Moscow, <laughs> and I will be the king of Moscow tomorrow. If you need me, I'll give you a million dollars that I'll have by tomorrow morning. We're going to grab more beer. We'll be right back. Hey, Spence, what are you drinking? So I took a, uh, this is from Main Street 4204 Brewing Company. God, that's a, that's a real bad name for a brewery, by the way. That's too many. A bunch of numbers. Yeah. (laughs) Um, This is the uh, Strawberry Jewel, I'm guessing is what they're going for here. J-U-E-L-E. And I have not tried it, so I will still water roll it. I'll admit that I took a whiff of it. And I was hoping to drink this to recover fruit beer in this episode. And I think what may happen is that I found a more medicinal beer in this episode. So I'm going to take a sip, but I'm not, I'm not expecting much here, people. All right. He's uh, downing the drink, looking up, mm, pondering the taste. Ooh, that's not a good facial reaction. Oh, my God. Yeah. Mm. It's, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Keep in mind, I've had this too. Uh, you poured me uh, half a glass of it, and I, I tried to. I just sipped it. Yeah, go for it. I'm giving it a shot. Uh, Jesus because Christ. Everyone tries one's rule. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just had a sip, and I was like, I cannot, I cannot buy a Spencer before he still waters it. So <laughs> that's I'm just awful. Gonna, yeah, that's terrible. To hide oh, my reaction. Man. Yeah. What am I sick with that I had to drink that? Yeah. yeah. That that actually, I just like a doctor just kicked in Ross's door and was like, "It's okay. It tastes like strawberries. Like it's my patent medicine. Um, <laughs> cures your ailments. Cures baldness. Rick got gout, right? <laughs> this will do a number on gout. Fittingly, this produced what I assume the same look and on consumption. my face was when I tried the Virtual Boy. This is a hard one. God, it's like there's so much carbonation in it too. Yeah. It's yeah. like. Super it tastes good. like soda, yeah. 
If it was no, a bad beer. It, fe- it feels like soda. It feels like soda. And then it tastes like bad medicine. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Do you mind if I just pour mine out and get a different beer? So no, please get, do. All right. <laughs> I'm going to drink I, it because I'm committed to this cause. Well, But fuck yeah, all if this I'm isn't just, bad. Yeah. Is that two ones for me this episode? It might be, yeah. yeah. Jesus. Well, I mean, the previous one was a one. So. Yeah, so yeah, it's two. Yeah, that's how numbers work. Cool. Great, <laughs> great day, guys. Um, Good job picking these beer scales. Anyways, <laughs> uh, while there's, I, there's a 52 minus five left. I'm yeah. not. I'm not good at math. <laughs> Someone, a listener is going to have to do that. At me, me. That means they're at me. The math. I One million not. bad beers left. God, but there's a lot of rules about these ads now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't keep track of the rules. <laughs> Don't at me about the rules. <laughs> the rules are postmodern. <laughs> Uh, Maybe at me at the rules. <laughs> so we're into professional drinking. Also, something we haven't done in a while. Mm-hmm. We're gonna we're just gonna talk about what it's like to drink beer. And at this point, I don't know how many episodes we've done. Over we've done like thirty five or thirty six episodes this year, which means we've done over two million beers. I think in twenty seventeen. <laughs> sure. Again, not great at bath. Thirty four, thirty five, thirty six times six. We're over a hundred. That I stopped keeping track. Yeah. That's a lot. That's what I'm. We're over two hundred. We're over yeah. two hundred. Are we? Point. Yeah. So I think we've done thirty six episodes between patron extras and this. Mm. Uh, no, we've done thirty four and thirty four times six. So thirty times six is one hundred and eighty four times six. Yes, yeah, so we're two hundred and four beers. So we've done a lot of beers. Is what I'm saying. I hope that math is. Oh right. wow! I didn't do the air horn for it. Yeah. Yeah. Shit. We did our two hundredth beer on this episode. God, I really fucked this up. You. Are awful. God, why did you bring this up? I fucked it up. Garbage. What was our two hundredth beer? It would have been the second, the first beer that we tried. Oh no! I'm two hundred. Guys, I'm, I'm distraught. On the. <laughs> are you? You're smiling. Two or three. Two. <laughs> it would have been the fucking Santa Fe Brinco Adobe Igloo, and it was not worthy of an MLG horn. Oh, okay. What a fucking day. I don't know how well that's getting picked up. So it's probably I'm fitting. I'm not that going to bother. It's oddly topical Weird. that we're going to talk about professional drinking, which is our segment about beers, when we tried our two, on I, the episode in which we tried I our 200 beer. I just want to apologize to everyone out yeah. there. I'm sorry. I, yeah. I, I, I let us all down here. So this is a really interesting question, and it's something that we are probably going to cover in a slightly different variation uh, when we do our beer and review for 2017. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but Chris Reed has asked... What is a beer that achieves minimum effective dose of satisfaction? Basically, what is the four beer that is such a four that it shouldn't even be considered a four because it has transcended to the platonic ideal of a four and all other fours aspire to achieve its level of fourness simply because it will never be a five and doesn't want to be. It just wants to get the right amount of satisfaction without ever being replaceable. And we've we've interpreted the question a little bit to say, of all the beers that we've tried over the last year... Yeah, I can't just talk about fours, right. Chris. What is the platonic ideal of, of the each, integer? Of each beer. What is one the integer? Not yeah. not 1.00001. Not 2.0096. The platonic one yeah. is what? Yeah. Uh, you want to start? Well, that's you want me to still start? still one. <laughs> okay. To be fair, well, on that note, <laughs> I'll <Yeah>. start. So, <laughs> uh, the platonic one for me... Although I gotta be honest, congratulations to Main Street Fortio Four Strawberry Jewel because they're making an argument. Uh, a a quintessential one for me is Stillwater's Classic Postmodern Beer. Um, I've never I've never consumed a beer that made me angry at beer before, <laughs> and that not only made me angry at beer, it made me angry at all of this. This year of podcasting, this search for six different. Beers, I never fucking like you, Caleb. <laughs> every mic week, drop. 
I group me Caleb later and I said, it's not you, it's me. I mean, <laughs> it ruined this whole thing for me for at least a day. So a platonic one for me, a thing which ruined beer in the wrong direction and almost ruined the search for other beer was a Stillwater's classic postmodern beer. What about for you? Well, there's a theme here. Yeah. <laughs> My number one was a Stillwater extra dry sake beer. I knew, I knew it. The beer that invented the Stillwater rule when I drank it before it was on the microphone and I almost threw up and they were like, well, that's a new rule. We have to do that on the microphone. Yep. Um, It it is the quintessential one. It is the flag carry. It set a rule for us. It's so one, it's zero. It's so one, it's negative one as well. Like, uh, it's I. I, (laughs) If I remember correctly, too, it was also uh, one of the beers was... No, that was not a Mix 6 Monday. That was not a Mix 6 Monday. That's something we tried here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No, oh it was my awful. God. We couldn't figure out what it was called for half the time we were because the oh, fucking Because yeah, it's a Stillwater can, yeah. and they are all the same in that they're inexplicable because they want to trick you into drinking it. Also, this is an opportune time to ask that no one share any of our podcasts <laughs> with anyone who works at Stillwater. This is not some weird personal vendetta. None of us have any odd hang-ups. We just don't like it. This It's, it's honest and, and pure. And we keep trying. We, uh, it's not like we've stopped drinking them. No. We're going to drink more. That's, honestly, we might be their best customers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone else has had their beer. <laughs> so it's like, you're welcome, I guess, a little bit. Uh, all right. You need something to drink on a dare with your friends. <laughs> Have you ever looked up like their reviews on Beer Advocate or something? No, like that? Yeah. I don't. I don't want to meet the person who's into it. <laughs> all right, a two platonic two for me. Something that is so ideally not the worst thing I've ever had, but such a bummer in terms of beer. Um, I remember trying this beer and thinking, "What happened here?" Uh, and it's a collaboration between Evil Twin and Two Roads. It's the Pachamama Porter. Man, it tried hard. It tried so hard to both be You want to like it. No. You it, do, because it's so crazy. It tried so hard to be a one and a five. <laughs> and I think that's where it went wrong. It tried so hard to be unique and groundbreaking, and also so hard to taste like a baby diaper full of Indian food. <laughs> and it achieved both. <laughs> It was groundbreaking in that I'd never had a beer which tasted like a baby diaper full of Indian food. Putting it in the two category. See, I define a platonic two differently here. So we differ here right. than, rather than on the one. So for me, a two is a beer that has everything going for it and still can't pull it together. So Public House uh, Cranberry Courtship Courtship. Cranberry Ale. Um, cranberry is like a blueberry flavor for me in that it will, you're, I almost threw up, you're, you're to I almost threw up the strawberry jewel. I gotta be honest. <laughs> God, we, I, we just need cameras for the ones faces. Uh, we should make a no. collage, like some sort of really dark, unwelcoming bar. When I was, just uh, pictures of men not happy they drank the next there. milestone the, the all ones video recorded <laughs> the, one, live the wall of ones when i was a child my mom when i would have to take medicine she'd have to give me like 11 chips ahoy after i drank it just to keep it down because one time i threw up like a, a cap full of dimetap on our living room floor and what i found out is this moment it wasn't dimetap it was main street's 4204 strawberry jewel and i don't have any chips ahoy. anyways i'm sorry keep going well, for me, uh, Public House, I really like their brewery overall. Yeah. So I'm predisposed to like it. Cranberry is like one of my favorite flavors to include in anything, especially beer. Um, I'm the guy at Thanksgiving dinner that just <laughs> cranberry eats sauce. a can of cranberry sauce because I'm like, oh, it's got cranberries in it. 
Done. Caleb Stokes, who will eat nothing, brings a can of cranberry sauce to Friendsgiving. <laughs> hey, I brought this. Um, so uh, I'm expecting a lot, and if it doesn't deliver down to a two, sure. that's peak two. Yeah. Like, that's two fair. is disappointment. Okay. Like, one, you didn't see it coming. It's a tragedy. Yeah. It struck you from out of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, you thought you were in control of your life, and then your hubris was brought low by the one. Yeah. A two is just disappointment, though, and, th- and that's what it tastes like. Yeah. That's fair. Uh, a three for me, so you referenced as we were prepping this segment. This is a deep cut for me, but I read over every three, uh, thanks to Q at Buck's Belly, who's keeping our list for us. And thank you for doing that, because holy shit. We, yeah, we really should have done that. We, you, we were not planning. Yeah, we, um, we owe you a lot. Yeah. Um, I looked at every three, and I just kept coming back to, I didn't want to like this beer. And once I drank this beer, I thought, nope, that's exactly what that beer is. It was it was the most middle-of-the-road thing I've ever tasted in my entire life. And it was set up to be so much more and so much less against the Grain Brewery's brown note, which simultaneously has the most disgusting can I've yeah, ever seen. It's a seen. hard question mark of a can. Yeah. I don't know how to rate that can. Yeah, it's a negative four on cans. <laughs> uh, but in terms of it, – it is exactly it, – it does what it says on the tin. I mean, it is a – it is a brown ale. You know what I mean? That's it. And that's what it tastes like. Um, it's a little bit flat, but hot damn if you couldn't drink like nine or ten of them. To be clear, if that's what it tastes like while trying to tell you visually that it tastes like shit. Yes. Right. Exactly. And it doesn't register as that. Right. Like, no, that's a brown ale. Yep. So I, I, I thought, you know, yeah, this is the I know most it's in a can that says literal shit. Literal shit. And yet that didn't register me. It's a brown This ale. is the most literal middle-of-the-road thing I think I've ever had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about for you? Any Oktoberfest. Such a good pick because I almost put three <laughs> different Oktoberfests in this spot. <laughs> and that's the mistake. Yep. It's just Oktoberfest so as a right. genre. Yep. It's all of them. It is the genre of threes. <laughs> Would you like a three? Make any Oktoberfest, yeah. including any ingredients. Maybe just slap Oktoberfest on something bad, and perhaps it will become a three. Yeah, it absolutely. could be a magical sign, right. like some sort of sigil. I don't know, but... It, does Stillwater do an Oktoberfest? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, Stillwater's that campaign. Stillwater's the test, though. Oh, I mean, we'll okay. see if my theory holds up. Yeah. If Stillwater does a three Oktoberfest, right? We'll know that it'll my- also be the highest rating a Stillwater beer received on this <laughs> podcast, and we're like fifteen deep. I've I've bought more. Yeah, in the oh. Hall of Fifty Two, there are at least four more Stillwaters. Cool. Peppered throughout like landmines. Can we call the 52 <laughs> that you brought the new 52? Like to reference the DC universe? Yes, let's Great. do that. Done, done, and done. Someone needs to reference it positively. Yeah. <laughs> the Whoa. movies sure aren't. Oh. Oh. Yeah. All right. A four for me. This is where things are getting good. But but the trick here to the four is that things have gotten good, but not so good that they've broken beer in the other direction. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like they're the quintessential, oh my God, I'm happy they have this beer on tap, or I'm happy I found it in a bottle. But it's not, I'm going to go actively seek out this beer and this mm-hmm, beer only. Mm-hmm. Um, Prairie Artisan Ales, man, has made a late push, I think, to be, when we do our beer in review, the maybe the best brewery of 2017 for us on this podcast. It's certainly up there. With, yeah. yeah it's, it's in We're the We're deliberating. Yeah, for so, sure, sure. We're it's still make, deliberating. Making a case, nonetheless. Yeah. But their Prairie Weiss is 
like just flat out drinkable AF. And you're going to the tasting room, right? I'm, yeah, part? yeah. So I uh, am jealous AF. Oh my god! So I'm for, so angry at you for our fifth anniversary, which is December fifteenth. Brandy and I will be married five years on that day. What about our anniversary, Spencer? <laughs> right, exactly. No, you're right. I'm sorry. Uh, well, I told you after the classic postmodern beer, I broke up with all. I'm of not it. holding hands with him anymore, like we do through every podcast. Yeah, yeah. Things have changed, guys. Um, we're going to Oklahoma City. We're going to hang out with Andrew Baswell and Holly mm-hmm. Hasenfranz Hotel Hotel. And uh, as part of that, we're going to go to the new Prairie Tap Room, and I'm going to try so many of the best beers that we've had in bottles and on and in cans on fucking. It's tap. an audio medium. I'm flipping them off right you, now. You, 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 of course, are bringing many of these back, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're going to do some All serious right. shopping. Oh, yeah. Um, the Prairie Weiss, though, if you're looking for a good light uh, sour slash tart drinker. Uh, they sell them in four packs. They're like nine ninety five here, which means they're seventy two dollars for our Australian listeners. Um, it is absolutely I worth think, every penny. Absolutely, I think the most drinkable of the Weiss family that I have run into, and I can't recommend it enough. But it's not going to change the way you think about beer, and I mm-hmm. think that's what makes a distinction mm-hmm. between a four and a five. Mm-hmm. What's a four for you? So a four for me is something that is the reverse of a two. Mm. Uh, so I didn't expect to like it, and it surprises me on the positive end of things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Whereas a two is something like, I thought this was going to be a little bit better. plays with my expectations. Yeah. lets me down. So for me, four is kind of my deep cut. Yeah. Rough tails, little blue pills. This was so weird because you don't – and I, I guess in line with your, your definition of expectations. It's not wild about Pilsners. You don't like Pilsners. No. Right. And yet – one of the most drinkable pilsners I've ever had. And it's not that pilsners aren't drinkable. They're just vacant mm-hmm. most of the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, there's a little something on this pilsner. Yeah, like, there's sure. a little bit more care on this one that, that the other ones don't have. And so, for me, that's a four. Like, I'm expecting a three. I might be expecting a two, but yeah. it's still elevating itself above the crush yep. of 204 beers we've uh, consumed at this point. Yep. And that's saying something. So, that's a hard four for me. Yeah. So for me, a uh, five, uh, it, a five is like this broke beer. You know what I mean? This changed the way you think about mm-hmm. how beer works, much in the way that the Nintendo Switch changed the way that we think of video games yeah. and how one can video game. Okay, four beers broke beer for me this year. So I'm going to be honest; like I didn't do a good job of selecting one here. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them we did not try on the podcast because we saved it for Friendsgiving, and that was the Abraxas by Perennial. Oh God, it was good. It was. It was no question of five. I don't think it's my platonic five. No, exactly. But it was no question. But of it five. broke beer, right? Yeah. It it changes for me the way stouts can taste. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, Three Floyd Zombie Dust. Uh, I don't like pale ales all that much anymore. It transcended pale ale and just went into this is one of the five or six best beers I think no, I've ever the, had. As a pale ale, I actively dislike. It's like a minus two, and it still ended on five, which That's makes right. it probably a seven. That's right. Yeah, uh, mathematically. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but two beers that that we have tried on this podcast, and I, you know, pick one here. I guess is what I'm saying for your platonic five. Changed the way that I think about what beer should, can, does taste like, and it's either. Crooked Staves Labrette de Raspberry, which uh, you bought kind of on a whim, even though it was kind of it was like twelve ninety nine for a twelve ounce bottle at some point. I try to get like one expensive one per episode, which I appreciate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I didn't know how much I would appreciate it. Um, first off, uh, it it changed the narrative for me a little bit. I as I was getting into sours, cherries were the things mm. that like always came up. Another for me. solid flavor for me, right? And then we tried this this raspberry from Crooked Stave, and Crooked Stave has quickly moved up my favorite brewery ranking. I think mm-hmm. it's out of Denver. Um, they just do sours really well, tarts really well, and it. Uh, 
I remember tasting it and taking a literal step back. Like, I don't know how to talk about this beer other than this beer makes me happy. I'm smiling. It's delicious. One other beer, uh, same category, had the same effect for me. Uh, Mark and Janice were kind enough to, uh, you know, send us uh, uh, via a, a transport route um, uh, New Belgium's Le Creek Noir, which was that mm-hmm. cherry sour yeah. uh, bomber. Also amazing. It broke beer for me. Um, and as someone who can't get enough of a good sour ale aged on cherries in unique ways and for ridiculous amounts of time or whatever – uh, that beer, I think I said it while we were tasting it, might be the best sour I've ever tasted. Mm-hmm. And now that sours have become kind of come my like go-to, I'm going <clears> to <throat> drink this beer. If that for me is the thing by which I evaluate the deliciousness of beer, and this thing elevated that level of that, that's probably the Platonic Five. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, that's the thing which seems to be yeah. the perfect form of the perfect form. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so for me, it's either the Crooked Stave Labrette de Raspberry or the La Creek Noir. <clears throat> I, I get that. So for me, a five, I really waffled on this you you made a good call though so vape tricks is making a hard push at the end because yeah. i'm drinking a lot of it that drinkability is important super drinkable but but i'm talking five yeah tastes so good right it be, it, it, it blows other categories out of the world and at that point i did this saturday finish a six pack of pumpkin ale by myself which was a mistake yep because my head was splitting apart right. into a billion pieces the next day because it's 10% and it's down from 11%, yeah. which is when I came to love it. The Schlafly Pumpkin Ale? It's got to be Schlafly Pumpkin Ale yeah. because what is more five than <clears throat> a flavor, a drinkability that is so good that you make an appointment with grief the next day? No And I no. literally scheduled that and it's like, regret at... <laughs> roughly yeah. seven thirty in the morning right. for the next day. I'll yeah. meet you there. Right. Regret right. Um, for right now. Right. I'm going to live in a hedonistic heaven. It's it's worth it's worth how far I'm going to drop because man, it's a punishing beer in terms of alcohol um, for the taste yeah. and like and I love vape tricks, but I don't wake up the next day after drinking some vape tricks thinking like, dear God. What were you thinking, past Caleb? Right, you have ruined the life of future Caleb. I, I will, I will take a clone of myself, a future Caleb. I will ruin his day. Yeah, that's to right. To drink a pump, and then I'll do it help. again. Yeah, and then I'll do it again. And that's a, and that's a five. It, yeah, it's uh, the thing that I think you're right about here. The most, other than obviously the deliciousness of, the I'm flavor. willing to pay a price for slapping pumpkin the, ale. And and <laughs> when it comes out, like when it shows up on shelves. You and I will schedule getting together and doing things around the fact that pumpkin ale is now consumable. Yeah. Like, we will go to bars that have pumpkin ale. We also hoard it. Yes, that's right. Like, we'll, for the year, expense. like, just emptying it into uh, another cart. Right. That is probably walking and drifting into the checkout lane. Um, yeah, because we're worried it's going to go away. Yeah, and then we'll make plans around not being able to function. I mean, it, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think you've hit the nail on the head there that maybe maybe in this instance, the platonic five is that thing which you know. You know, it's uh, it's Icarus, right? Like, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Don't go close to the sun, but I'm like, oh, it's pretty nice That's close good to the sun. That yeah. sun is spicy AF. <laughs> yeah. I really like the cloves on that sun. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and you jump up in there. I mean, I think that's a that's a good poll. So, anyways, um, you know, I just want to say to Chris Reed, this was a really cool question. Yeah. Uh, granted, we extrapolated a little bit. It's also a really good setup. It got me thinking for our beer interview, uh, which I imagine we'll do on our patron only episode yeah, at the, the end next of one. December. Beer interview. Yeah. So the beer interview where we will review our I think fives. That literally drops on like the thirty first. Yeah. So. Like New Year's Day. Yeah. Uh, we'll review our fives for the year as many as we can all find. Five episodes, and we are just going to lavish praise on these things, and mm-hmm. also probably get like. 
real drunk. Yeah, a super positive episode. Yeah, yeah. So we've got one segment left. We're on to drunk enough. we got to grab one more beer, and we'll be right there. trying to cloud your judgment here but you've got a good one in your hand uh i have from ska brewing uh which is why i bought it because you know i gotta represent my high school self uh, <laughs> What's your high, what was your high school scam mm-hmm. really band? into ska well what was your band didn't you have a band in high school i, d- I never i was never cool enough to have a ska band oh. i had a punk band because we couldn't find i thought it was players. called like mormon centaurs or no something. no it wasn't <laughs> sadly uh so it's ska brewings Modus Hopperindi India Pale Ale. So I'm going to go just try on the air. Look, when I was drinking IPAs, this was my go-to. I mean, it is super fucking drinkable. It was They were selling this shit in a can long before a lot of other breweries were. And you could buy it on the cheap. How do you feel about it? I like it quite a bit. It's good, right? Yeah. This yeah. is an SNES for me. Yeah, I mean, it don't... Which is me- saying something for a pale ale for me. India India pale ale. It's yeah. an IPA. And yeah. don't get me wrong, they are heavy on the bitter. But, like, I think it's pretty good. Yeah, but it's not... It's not on... It's not undoing me. Right. Like, yeah. it's not so high on the bitterness unit. It's like, well, I've maxed out. Yeah. I've cr- and then crushed you crushed my palate. And then you kept going. Yeah. And why did you do that? Um, it's an India Pale Ale. Yep. It tastes like it, and it should taste like it. Absolutely. Um, but it's not excessive. God, there's been a range uh, in this episode. There really has. Yeah. I uh, finished a six pack of those during a kickball game in grad school, <laughs> and I threw up that day. So. I'm not sure. college is serious business. <laughs> I'm not sure if a it was kickball the, game. The kickball. <laughs> How many Spencer stories end with you puking? <laughs> More than we have talked about. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. I don't know. More than don't. There's yeah. probably a backer level where all I do is tell puke stories, but I don't know what it is. <laughs> That's a That's seven dollar yeah. episodes. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, anyways, we're into drunk enough, uh, and this is where we uh, we we take on something bigger than ourselves. Yeah. Uh, and today. Really interesting question. We're, we're asking ourselves, how do you turn off the, the reflex to search for narrative? So it's 2017. Things are, uh, for lack of a better word, fucked up. And, you know, uh, there's a real attempt here, I think, to uh, try to create some sense of order out of all this chaos and say, no, 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 I can, I can connect the dots between these things and say that there's a narrative arc here. There's, there's an obvious resolution coming. Uh, and yet... It's getting harder and harder to feel like that, if true, that narrative arc is really good or what I'm looking for or that it even exists at all because it all seems so fucking impossibly random and weird. Mm-hmm. So how do you deal with that? What is a really human instinct, right? I mean, yeah. this is Fisher's bit, right? And yeah, yeah, yeah. Human commu- this is how we make sense of the world. Or at least how I do. Right, right. Uh, I'm not sure how some people do anymore, right. but it's yeah. at least what I'm trying to do. How, how do we get out of that? And I don't know. I mean, this is an interesting question. It's uh, it's something that, that you've posed, so I'm going to let you take a first run at it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm regarding myself like uh, specifically when the Mueller p- plea deal happened. Yeah. My impulse against all of my nihilism and jaded cynicism uh, was to be like, yes, it begins. Right, right. Finally. The beginning of the end. Justice will come to pass. Mm-hmm. And I'm seeking every part of this narrative to be like, well, well, the ro- the reason they didn't bring up, bring up Turkey is because he got a good deal. Right. And it's because he can dime on somebody That's who's right. higher That's up. That's right. Yeah. And eventually there's going to be I've told like myself that. that 11 times in yes. the last hour. And eventually, I, I said it to myself, and then eventually I hear it from other places. Just like, 
What if he proves it beyond a reasonable doubt? And it doesn't fucking matter. And it doesn't fucking matter because they control all levels of government. Right. And impeachment is impossible. And the American public doesn't care because that's how he got elected in the first place. I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's probably what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah for sure. <clears throat> and I, so I find myself at the point where, like, I was, I was literally asking people, is it okay for me to feel optimistic about this? And they're like, yes, do feel optimistic. But I'm like, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> Are that, you sure? That doesn't sound right. And here's the thing. It could easily be the reverse. Yeah. It could be I am in the narrative and I realize, well, this is ultimately a tragedy. And it, the, the genre so far has been, I mean, not even tragic. No one's taking a fall from high to low. It's just right. this bleakly nihilistic Tom Waits song of a government we're caught ourselves in. <laughs> and uh, we're all rain dogs and talking to rats. And that's that's our life now. Um and so I'm trying to fit it into the genre. It's like, well, yeah, hope doesn't fit into this. This is not a. This is not true detective. Hope doesn't fit in here. There's no true detective, weird, hopeful finale in the middle of this. No, Rust and Marty live horrible, short lives. They do something that ultimately amounts. They to nothing. never end up on the cruise ship. And then together. they die. they never end up on the cruise ship together. That doesn't fit with the genre of what's going on. And then, like, I realize I'm doing the same thing. Right. I am. I am discounting reality both ways. Yeah. Because I really want this to fit into any kind of narrative framework that makes sense. And to be clear, that's all that makes sense to me. Uh, because I don't know if that's all that makes sense to humans, and I think there's a solid case that that's all that makes sense to humans. Like, again, you said the Fisher argument. Yeah. But um, it's definitely the only thing that's ever made sense to me yeah. as the guy who will buy every DLC that has extra story missions, <laughs> and then you want skins, and I'm like, I don't I don't right. give a damn that's how it looks. Like, yeah. I just want more story. Um, so... I need to cut this out of myself to survive. That's what I'm. That's what I'm finding myself in a situation. Is like this organ is corrupted. It's full of like it's full of pus and grossness. It's necrotic. It is not helping me out anymore. It's not doing its organ job. It's 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 doing quite the reverse. I got to get this out of me for my operating systems to continue moving. And yet, I don't know how to do that. So, like, I have a I have a counterintuitive take here, and this is my eternal optimist bit that oh, I'm going to play for a few minutes. This one again. This one's back. Hey, man, I've got to tell myself there are better things out here because I've had two ones during this episode, and, <laughs> and I kind of just want to give up. So, so I'm really I'm really looking for a path. The here. hope of the future is all that keeps you going. Yeah, that's right. In the world of ones. So. Um, first and foremost, like I think you can turn it off. I choose not to turn it off. What instead, what I choose to do is I just choose to change what I think of as is is the end or the symbolic resolution or whatever we're talking about here. Okay, so let me explain. First and foremost, I do think that um, there's probably something preternatural, biological. I don't know about the nature. Cer- certainly cultural. Uh, about making sense of the world in terms of narratives. I'm all in on this. I just think it's true. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying that it's true for everyone. I'm not saying that there aren't conditions which preclude one's ability to make sense of the world like that. But I'm saying that by and large, it is a way in which we are socialized and therefore make sense of things. Um, the the choice, though, to ascribe value to those narratives, I do not think is uh, grounded in any greater than thou um, place of origin i think that you as the individual get to choose is this a good story or a bad story how does it end and do i want to continue to look for the end 
And I think that as humans, we, we get a lot of choice over that. Maybe we don't. I'm not saying that there aren't events which are outside of our control. Uh, and I'm not saying that some of those events aren't so overwhelmingly negative or positive that our ability to choose to interpret them in, a, in an alternative way is, is clouded by the overwhelming negativity. I mean, you know, sometimes when I see really bad shit happen to people and, you know, those eternal optimists like myself come in and say like, hey, you know, just think positive. It's like, fuck you. I mean, (laughs) this shit's bad. You know what I mean? Um, Objectively. and And I understand that. And so I'm accounting for all these conditions when I say that in this particular mess that we're talking about, and that's what we're talking about. I mean, we're just talking about abject chaos. Meaning does not exist anymore. We are so far beyond truth in whatever conceivable way we've talked about truth as a culture, at least in my lifetime, I think. We're, we're way past that. Um, this is – if we all make it past this and I tell myself that we will, you know, scholars 30 years from now will study the time period in which the United States lost its fucking mind again. I mean we've certainly done some fucked up shit in our past. More fucked up shit than this. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> More fucked up shit than not fucked up shit. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this seems like uh, a uniquely odd time to do such fucked up shit while there's also a pretty strong cultural narrative of enlightenment around how fucked up we've been. And that we still continue to talk about this is pretty fucked up. So, I mean, the whole thing is kind of flabbergasting to me. Having said that. um, Yeah, get Harvey Weinstein. Get everybody else. That's right. Get him, get him. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, justice. And then it's like, no, just Hollywood. Yeah. No, we're just going to do Hollywood. I'm like, wait, what about about other stuff? It's like, well, we're more, but... We're gonna elect his ass, right? right. We're gonna re- we're gonna put his ass back in office. I'm like, no, keep keep going. Right. Like this is the part of the story where you gain momentum and right. continue going forward. Why would you just stop there? Like, that, wouldn't that violate the impetus of the whole endeavor? Right, and it does that. And for it's me, just yeah, boop. Like th- the there bit. goes the narrative. <laughs> but see, that's the bit. That's why. So I don't. I'm not going to abandon that choice. Some of that choice to interpret this as a as a narrative which has an arc and all that stuff. Instead, what I do. And I don't know if this is a healthy strategy, but it's working for me right now. We'll see. Uh, is I just keep changing what I think the fifth act is. And so I think we're getting there. And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. It's just the second act. Oops. That's fine. You know, we'll fucking get there. And then I think we've made it through the third act and the fourth act. And then we're like, oh, man, it's coming. You know what I mean? Like today someone uh, said to me, who, you know, someone said to me, I don't think that, that Trump's going to make it past uh, February. And I was like, yeah, it'd be great. But in my mind, I'm like, no, 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 This is first act shit, right? Like, we've just learned there's some intrigue here. And so all, I, all I've continued to do is kind of like reorder in my mind how the story fits together. And for me, there is no end until there is an end. And so I'm not – I don't see any of this as predictive or forecasting because that, I think, is what sets it up for disappointment, trying to figure out how far we are then from the narrative resolution. And instead I go, okay, I think we're going to get there. I don't know how far along it is, but I know that all of this is a part of the process to getting me there, and it's a really functional definition rather than principal definition of the narrative because that's how I fucking stay sane in some of this stuff because I found myself on a few occasions going like, oh, man, it's coming. It's coming. And that was December of 2016. (laughs) Like a month after the dude got elected, I was like, nah. You know, actually, it was probably before that. I mean, it was, what was it, August of 20, 2017, 2016 when the, the uh, Hollywood. That was uh, October. October. Fucking yeah. October yeah. when the videos released. Yeah. 
Jesus. But that was before the... Uh, yeah, the Comey, Clinton emails. Yeah, yeah, well, Comey had the letter saying they're still investigating right. her, which kind of undid all that. Right. Uh, you know, in October, I thought, well, this this farce has okay, ended. Here's my counterpoint. Yeah. Is that just a way to go deeply insane? Like, and we're just at the start of that path. Like, I'm seeing myself at 2022 at, like, the mass wedding for my child brides to Republican senators being like, any minute now, ooh, it's all going to be fixed any minute now. Just one day, just got to suffer a little bit more while little Cindy gets sent off to Hullabaloo Jackson Sr.'s senatorial compound for child brides. And then and then it's all okay. It's all going to be good. Am I just driving myself more deeply in Saint, or should I stop predicting things? Well, I think the trick like, there is like, the thing. like I think the trick there is that that also gives you a really passive role in the narrative. You know what I mean? Like that's just sitting around and waiting for it. Yeah. Hey, you know what has happened? Yeah. I've not been passive, and you know what hasn't right. counted anything. I'm feeling real Oedipus right now. No, I get that. Like I'm, I'm digging. I'm, I'm churning. I'm treading water. I'm doing investigations. I'm solving mysteries. And no one gives a fuck. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Like that—that's where I'm at. Like I worry that constantly delaying the fifth act, constantly right. delaying the predictive aspect of narrative, which is ultimately for me the the answer to the ultimate question—the right. question of like, all right, if I have free will, everything I do has meaning, and that's unbearably oppressing and terrifying. Or if I don't have free will, nothing I do means anything, and that's unbearably light and meaningless. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And so, for me, to narrative, it's like, all right, you have to understand that you're in a world that you don't entirely control. You're in a genre. You're operating in a historical epoch of an historical narrative. To recognize that and to plan accordingly is the extent of choice that you have. Yeah. I can't recognize the narrative anymore. Right. Like, I can't. I can't find the point in which I'm because the like, grand I, there was there was a point like in the 2016 election where I'm like, well, it'd make a better story if he won. Because it would be like the curse, may you live in interesting times. Right. And there could be an element of like the death impulse. It's just like, I just want to see how this turns out. That could lead to him winning. But I don't believe it's going to happen because I'm in the neoliberal narrative. Right. And the neoliberal narrative is farcical precisely because stuff happens, but to other people. And we export it. Right. And we're not going to bring it on ourselves. Yeah. And lo and behold, right. I fucked that right up. Like, I was way wrong about that. Sure. And I've been way wrong about other stuff. I were I was with you, like, February 2016. Like, oh, any minute now, it's coming. We're, we're, we're set up for the fall. Oh, dude, we got beers the day after the election. And I was trying to be like, it's cool. There's no way he oh, can be as God, bad. Oh, God, we all were. <laughs> There's we no all, way. Well, most of us were. And I was being, like, real sad. Yeah. I was being real sad and probably not a good person to hang around with because there was but yeah yeah you weren't happy i wasn't happy uh but like I, maybe i should just stop well okay but let me offer another level not, of not working towards things not working towards desirable things that's not what i'm talking about right i'm not saying quitting or disengaging maybe i should stop predicting stuff maybe i should stop maybe that's, i should start thinking like all right i'm gonna work towards the change i want to see in the world and if that ends in the snake aliens from the miniseries them arriving from the planet neptune to steal our bodily fluids that's just how my write-in campaign for a DSA socialist can have been ended. The aliens evaded from arrival, and now we have to all learn the crazy circular time language. Like, and that's where I'm at. Like, maybe my narrative doesn't make any fucking sense anymore. You input things in, you contribute to a certain narrative, and maybe eh, 
it disappears. Yeah, I think that there's a level of distinction there that's important, which is, okay, so maybe uh, I am terribly passive when it comes to when is Donald Trump going to get indicted? He said, fingers crossed. <laughs> uh, but I'm not terribly passive in, like, what am I going to do tomorrow? You know what I mean? And, and, I, I'm, and I'm not there either. Yeah. Right. And I think that's important because I, I will say this. I have had to find more peace in the the unbearable comfortableness of those things which are immediately around me um in this kind of world like uh yeah maybe maybe the like grand illusions of democratic utopia have like left me the the fifth grade teachings of what it's like to live in america are gone but hot damn if i'm not excited about like potentially seeing coco with my wife next week because that's something that is immediate and i can control and takes me out of the the cosmic struggle against Oh shit! This is not working. I think of turns as like, and this is no doubt a very childish subject matter, and many people have moved beyond it and have to look at me like farcical that I would even believe in this. Maybe I need to stop trying to publish my own story and start fanficking my own story. <laughs> like maybe I need to stop trying to put my own story into the world, acknowledging that it will be, and be like, maybe I want to be like, you know what? I want a world in which Rust and Marty go on a cruise and find each other. Right. That's what they deserve. Yeah. That's not. What will actually happen, and yep. I have no control over that narrative, but damn it, I want it to happen that way, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work the hardest I can on the best forums I can find to post that slash fic of Rust and Marty going into the sunset on a Caribbean cruise. Maybe that's what needs to be my life yep. here in 2017. I need to work real hard for that thing I'm never going to see. Because I don't, I don't know who's publishing the narrative anymore, man. Well, here's like, what's weird. I've taken, I've done the opposite in in that instance. So we're both talking about the same thing, right? Which is like kind of control your own little space and then make it yours. I've talked myself out of the ability to control other spaces, which has only left me with my little space, right? So mm-hmm. like you're thinking proactively about building a world in which you can live and you enjoy yourself. I've told myself, okay. Or at least planning for it. Right. I can't even plan for it. So anymore. I've told myself, like, look, there are people out there who are actively working to do things about the things that I think are bad, right? Like I think about Adam Limehouse, for example, right? Mm-hmm. Like Adam is fucking working in D.C., right? Like trying to change things. Lord, they're all and Laura, their yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like that's fucking cool. And I look at that and I go – that's awesome. Could, the Technical Difficulties Podcast. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Could I do that? No. <laughs> so if I can't do that, and I probably couldn't do it on a local level, uh, what am I left to do? Well, I'm left to enjoy the things that I immediately can control, and so I will control those things. And so for me, it's, all, it's almost addition by subtraction. It's it, it, Do I have some tangible way of interacting with the thing which I think is frightening? No, which honestly, I don't know if that's true or not, but it's certainly a convenient explanation to not take responsibility, which I think is shit. I mean, I think that's awful. <laughs> yeah. But I'm, I'm excusing it. I'm and, excusing I, and I'm it. working real hard, and I'm working real hard on low end. Maybe maybe that's my thing. I just don't have ambition to the point where like teaching kids, and I think that matters, and it's really like should be talking to donors of shit. And right. I'm I'm fooling myself, but I I feel like I'm working in the long term stuff like that. But I feel like at this point, like I'm typing, and the story's coming out in Spanish, mm-hmm. or, or no, maybe not Spanish, uh, 1940s esque German. Um, the, I, I'm typing in English, and it's coming out as like Lugan Press, and I'm like, mm, that's not those weren't the letters I pressed, mm-hmm. and I, I'm just like maybe i just need to stop thinking in terms of narrative maybe i just need to like be way more practical maybe that's the way out of this if there was is a way out of this to be just like brutally realistic because like i look at the campaigns of 2016 and there were some ideas in there 
specifically by the more liberal side of the party that held no bearing in reality um and that is largely a factor in the hell world we currently live in um and maybe it's just that i need to like cut that out of me i need to cut that liberal like love of comedy and narrative and got you's and dramatic reversals i just need to cut that right out of my head and then just be like what is the physical reality of this fucking situation i'm in right now and how do i deal with that and I need to be an animal for the world I want to be, not a, well, you know, the wheel of history comes around again, and the pendulum, and the this, that, no, nah, maybe it doesn't. Maybe progress is an illusion and a narrative we tell ourselves, and we should focus on, like, the here and now. You know, you know. let me make an awful analogy, uh, <laughs> comparison. So We'll be the first this yeah, all right. <laughs> Well, all right. I didn't need that. Uh, I'm trying to help. So, you know, maybe it's like we're the director of Blade 3, and we're trying to make the best Blade movie at all, uh, you know, that we can. But Wesley Snipes is being so combative. Wants no part. He, he won't even open his eyes for a scene. Uh, and so you have to CGI the eyes on uh, to Wesley Snipes in certain scenes because he keeps his eyes closed. But you wind up making the movie, and it helps Ryan Reynolds' career because uh, he's more charismatic than Wesley Snipes in that movie. And so we eventually we get Deadpool years later. So, you know, it's a long and twisted process. But... <laughs> So just think, you know, you don't. It's unintended consequences can be beneficial at times. So, so Ross just butterfly affected you <laughs> to explain that you might end up as Deadpool. That is so awesome. To be clear, in my questioning of is narrative making even meaningful anymore, your response <laughs> three, is to respond with a meta Hollywood narrative <laughs> of a narrative about a vampire that walks during the day. A daywalker, yes, yes, yeah. That is that is how they refer <laughs> that, to him. That they had to CGI his did eyes. I, on. Did I actually summarize what happened there? Yeah, yeah. but right. it led, leads to Deadpool. So is Donald Trump Wesley Snipes in this scenario? No, he's Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's Triple H. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, uh, <laughs> he's not. He's not. He's uh, not. We all wish Donald Trump was. Wesley Snipes. Yeah. He'd be more averse to taxes. Uh, Mike Pence would be the IRS going after Wesley Snipes. <laughs> uh, yeah, or Piper Perry. Is that yeah. a Piper? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. Piper, Piper something. Name? Yep. Uh, well, look, I don't I don't have a good segue or really. Like most drunk enoughs, we have arrived nowhere. <laughs> I, I don't have any way to recover from Except what Ross perhaps. did. Uh, so so I, I just want to say thank you. Uh, if you stuck around long enough to get to that, you earned every <laughs> minute of what you got, okay? Uh, if you've been listening to this whole thing, we appreciate you more than we can possibly uh, ever articulate. Um, if you're a Patreon at any level, thank you, thank you, thank you. If you're not a Patreon, but you just listen to this shit and occasionally tell your friends about how awful or not awful it is, that's also cool, too, because you're spreading the word, and we need that. So thank you, thank you, thank you, for at whatever level and whatever level of interest that you, uh, you're working for us. Uh, as the good people of the Mixed Six community, uh, if you're not following us on Twitter, check us out uh, at the Mixed Six. If you're not on, fa- or if you're not ch- checking us out on Facebook, it's Facebook.com/slash/TheMixedSix. We have a page and a group. You can also check out our website www.themixedsix.com, and we've got a YouTube channel up YouTube.com/slash/TheMixedSix. Maybe I don't know how URLs work. I'm going to be totally honest with you. Just search for the Mixed Six. It's a channel. Um, thanks for everything that you do. This has been an absolute blast. But for all of the shit beer that I drank while Caleb enjoyed himself, and we're again, we cannot underscore this enough. I'm sorry for what producer Ross just did. Uh, Once again, this has been the Mix Uh, Six. Uh, I'm Spencer. A wise man once said, 
Some motherfuckers always trying to ice skate up hill. Uphill. I watched Blade One yesterday. Oh, and I am Caleb. All right. Yeah. On that note, we have nothing left to say to you. Good night, people. <laughs> <laughs>